Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks I'm Carl Hartley And I'm Max Peterson And we are joined today in the studio by a very special guest um, Jeff Morgan for an extremely um, interesting episode. So, Jeff, you've been a patron of the show for a while. Um, you've been a friend. I've known Carl for ages. That's how I, I thought initially that that was how I had, I had heard of you was through Carl. You did uh, some film stuff with him uh, early last year. But I realized that I my wife and I actually my, my wife knows you from back in the day. And I knew I knew your name from somewhere. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But um. Thank you so much okay. for <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Um, and and I really love the the pitch that you had, which was give me give me an A twenty four film, just grab one out of the bag. And <laughs> we've we've been we've really been on well, an A twenty four kick. Yeah, well, I I, I kind of think you know I I really want to say thank you for letting me be here, and and I do mean that genuinely because I really you know admire your guys' podcast, and I really admire everything that Carl does. But I will say there's two things that make me uncomfortable. The most uncomfortable is talking about my movie Folklore. So I was like, well, I'm going to put that off. The second most uncomfortable is talking about farts. So here we are. Here we are. And farts I, I and feel folklore. like, uh, yep, it's just farts and folklore, the dual, the dual uh, uh, feature that no one knew they wanted. So. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, w- so tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, obviously, sure. obviously a uh, filmmaker. Um, so we, the first filmmaker that we've had on the show, which is fucking awesome. We've had script writers on and things like that. But you are our first director, aut- uh, filmmaker, auteur, genius, I think was a word that was bandied about. <laughs> we're, we're kicking that around, yeah. Yes, yes, that was, uh, that's what I paid, on, you know, on the Patreon for was to be called a genius. <laughs> right. And so, um, yeah, no, the, uh, the I've been, yep, I've been doing this for, oh my gosh, how old am I? Oh my gosh, like 22 <laughs> years now. And, um, yeah, you know, kind of the modern version of a filmmaker where my life is about, you know, a third feature films, a third documentaries, and then a third corporate work, you know, and that's how I survive in these crazy times, especially during COVID, you know, when no productions are going on. But, uh, yeah, I, um, I, I've done from the feature film side, I, Outside of my uh, business, I'm primarily hired as an editor and 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 cinematographer. I'm a union cinematographer. Not that that means anything. <laughs> and then, uh, wow, look at my attitudes. My my <laughs> already my deep seated like animal. Yeah, geez, that's how you can tell. Up. That's how you can tell that you're an industry veteran. It's like, oh, I'm a I'm a union cinematographer. Not that that fucking means anything. Where the fuck <laughs> Not that that means not that it brings you happiness or joy in any way. And then, uh, but yeah, you know, and I've been bouncing around the Michigan film scene for a while, you know, kind of doing this and that. Um, I'm excited to see that they're talking about bringing back the incentive, but that's mm. politics, so we won't talk right. about that. But the, uh, you know, got lots of interesting things going around. And I guess, you know, kind of, uh, you know, being bla- being super honest, kind of big, big fish, small pond kind of attitude, you know, like, but uh Definitely try to bring that Midwestern vibe wherever I go. Work hard, be positive, do my best. You know, don't do cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> good word. That, Those are good words to live by. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that makes that makes one. Yeah, of us it's, on, it's on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> 
the Jeff's commandments is like one, be kind, two, don't do cocaine. <laughs> it's above yep. the toilet, yep. so every time you take a piss, you're like, Yep, I remember. Just checking it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have it tattooed on the bottom of my pinky because I have that long cocaine fingernail on my pinky. And so I'm like, oh, wait, don't, you know. Yeah, well, don't that's, do it. That's a good spot for it, honestly. Um, so oh, if be you, nice. <laughs> uh, if people wanted to check out something that, you, uh, something that you've worked on, something that you've done, uh, point them towards somewhere that they can go to check out some of your work, whether that be editing or documentary work or, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'll, I'll do it. Uh, I'll do three things, but my website is Prometheus motion pictures.com Prometheus, like the uh, Greek Roman mythology type beleaguered union professional. Um, <laughs> and then uh, on, on Netflix, you can look for some family friendly movies uh, 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 called horse dancer, which I, Shot and edited most of those. If the scenes look not great, those aren't the ones I shot. And then <laughs> uh, there's a there's a pretty cool documentary on YouTube called Healing with Horses, and um, that's a pretty fun documentary about uh, uh, a young woman who was in a car crash and had her spine nearly severed, and then the, we followed her journey from the hospital through horse therapy to walking, and um, that's pretty cool too. Sounds rad. Yeah, it does. But let's talk about farts. <laughs> Can <laughs> we? Let's do. All right, we'll dive in. I like, I like how he totally glosses anywhere that you could possibly find. Uh, Segway. <laughs> oh, don't don't worry. Well, I'll be uh... <laughs> listener. You just give me your address. I'll mail you my copy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've, I've got about 800 of them sitting in the other room. Just <laughs> yeah. Well, um, now people know where to, to – so they send a self-addressed stamped envelope to you. <laughs> you, know what, you know what we should do, and maybe we'll talk about this next episode if you, if you let me come back, sure. is we'll do something where we can give away, like, free copies of Folklore for, like, X number of patrons or something like that. It's kind of like a, a dummy gift or something. We should do that, like, you know, totally first <laughs> 25 people who sign up get a free copy. <laughs> First five callers receive a copy of Folklore. I yeah. love this idea. Excellent. Um, but I won't. And I know that I know that this will be a that will be a trial for you. That in this next episode that we'll do. Um, so I won't force <laughs> yeah. you to talk about it now. But we'll we'll do that next time, definitely. Um, so what we're talking about today, when you when Carl gave me the marching <laughs> orders, pick an A twenty four film. I went to their I went through their catalog and I looked at everything. And there's so many good picks on there. Um, obviously we'd already done Hereditary, Midsummer, The Lighthouse. Um, so we wanted. I wanted to get away from horror a little bit. I looked at Locke, Tom Hardy's Alone in a Car movie, which is fucking incredible. But then I saw this one, and um, about a <laughs> about a year ago, a friend of mine, uh, John Shibe, husband of executive producer of our show, Casey Shibe, um, they were up before pre COVID times. Obviously, we're up uh, visiting, and John has been trying to get me to watch. Had been trying to get me to watch this movie for about two years before that night, and finally, he's like, "Look, I'm in your house." And I have access to your TV. You can't stop me. We're going to watch uh, 2016's Swiss Army Man. What? Hey. Hey. Just have to remember that we're all here for a purpose in the universe, baby. 
need you to help me get home. Okay, buddy? Okay, buddy. this flick for me i will i i have never seen a movie like this before so it's directed by dan kwan and daniel uh daniel scheinert it's written by the same the cast is actually pretty small it's paul dano daniel radcliffe uh mary elizabeth winstead i love small cast movies i love art house movies i love gross weird movies and this kind of scratches all of those itches for me so uh so today we're when we're digging into swiss army man Initial thoughts: Had either of you ever seen this before? I have not. No, this is my this is my first go around on this bad boy. Okay, uh, Jeff, had you seen? Have you ever had yeah, any this, exposure? This, nope, nope. I had I had just heard like the <laughs> one sentence, you know, stranded island guy finds farting corpse, which I actually <laughs> honestly feel under under soul, undersold the movie. I think that they could have done. Yeah. I think they could have done a better job uh, uh, putting this one out there. I agree. The, uh, I read something just before we went live that when uh, this uh, this premiered at a film festival and it got it got it was starting to be known as the farting corpse movie, and that apparently biased a bunch of people against mm. it. Uh, you know, there was some mixed mixed reviews, and I do think that like there are certain wines, there are certain cheeses that you need to be prepped for. Like if you're drinking a natural ferment and you expect that you're going to get a sip of you know Pinot Noir, that's gonna it's gonna blow your mind and and maybe taste a little <laughs> fucked right. up. I feel like this movie needs a small amount of of explanation on the way in, or people are just going to be thrown for a loop. Like, I I was looking through later for kind of, like, synopsis of this and things like that, and um, I... I... Uh, the best one that I found that I wish I had heard ahead of time was that it was uh, Weekend at Bernie's directed by Spike Jones, and like like <laughs> that was the that would have really gotten me to show up for it because that is much better. You know, I don't mind the farting, but like it it was almost sold more like a Adam Sandler kind of throwaway mm-hmm. comedy, and it's got a lot more to say than that. You know. Yeah, completely. I I remember the first time I started watching this with uh with John, he was saying like, okay, okay, look, the beginning looks silly, but it's it's gonna have more than because it does. It's very like literally toilet humor is how this movie starts. Yes, you know, it kicks off with a with for those of you who've never seen it and don't know, like, and mega spoilers. By the way, this movie is is one of the few that we talk about where you really don't want to know the ending before you start. So if you haven't seen Swiss Army Man. I pretty much unequivocally recommend this movie to anyone. There's there's nothing in here that's like so disturbing that it's not watchable. It's it's really heartwarming, it's funny, 
it's I mean it's not like a family flick that you watch with your kids but if you know if you like movies right. and you like m- movies that are a little oddball watch this but if you're gonna watch it or think you might want to watch it before you listen to this episode because the only way to really talk about it is to spoil the ending as we always do so in this case you don't want the ending spoiled go and spin it come back and listen to our talk about it one of the things that I love so much about this movie is I think the movie actually kind of feels like the story of the creation of the movie. I don't know if you guys know this, but when the two directors went to A24 to pitch this, they didn't have any story at all. They had nothing done. All they knew, the, the whole pitch was, we want to make a movie where where there's there'll be it'll be filled with farts. There'll be lots of farts in the movie, and the first fart will make you laugh and the last fart will make you cry. And they went and pitched that to at first <laughs> first I think they pitched it first to A24 and then they went the first two actors that they asked were Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe and both of them said yes immediately. Daniel Radcliffe didn't even know there cuz they didn't have any story written. All he knew was that he would be playing a farting dead body. And he was like, "Uh, yeah." And he knew he'd be with Paul Dano and he's like, "Yep, I'm in. Do it. Let's do it." And one of the things that you realize really quickly is that this movie would not work with any other cast. I can't agree more. Well, we always say that about movies, but that's because our perspective is these two people. Right. It's incredible. Daniel Radcliffe's performance. Obviously, both of them are amazing. And you kind of do have to have you do have to have an actor doing a more a, a slightly more traditional performance. It can't both be the crazy it's like you pair if you put Gary Oldman and Tom Hardy in a room together, one of them is going to have to like out art the other one. It's just how it works. Daniel Radcliffe literally plays a dead body this entire movie. And I would say for the first three quarters of it, he's a very, very dead body, like slack eye pupils, like unfocused, staring straight ahead, mouth slack, just listening to his line deliveries where, you know, his, uh, yeah. You know, just there like air is passing past his lips and it's just like hello, hello. it's barely words to start with. And the gradual progression of that performance, while physically it's amazing, vocally it's amazing. What are what are your thoughts, Jeff, on the on specifically on just the performance aspect? We'll get into the writing and cinematography and the score. Yeah, no, yeah, it, he was. Uh, they're both amazing, and I've been a huge fan of Paul Dano uh, for a long time. And uh, there will be blood, of course, and then taking lives, like which wasn't really a great movie, but he gave a great performance as this like person. Uh, identity stealing serial killer and just these various roles that he's been in seeing him make this turn you know this very soft almost romantic lead because this kind of becomes a romance as we get Mm -hmm. you know with uh, as we get going but yeah he was amazing and and daniel radcliffe man he like from the minute harry potter wrapped he has just (laughs) gone out of his way to like like make sure that no one can define him and what he's gonna do and uh, I will say, like, like the talking was interesting because f- I made a note for about one minute where I was like, "Oh no, this is a mumblecore movie because I can't." <laughs> I'm I'm so glad I have the subtitles on, <laughs> but then, uh, but then that you know ended up like a lot of things subverting my expectations too. And yeah, man, it, it this movie the whole time is perfectly balancing sweetness with grotesque and it is yeah. wonderful. So for me with Paul Dano and, and again to echo what Jeff is saying, I mean we've been following him for the, since the beginning of the show when the first episodes we ever did in season 0 is there 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 will be blood. Right. And just blown away by Paul Dano. Now he's consistent. 
in everything that he does. He's sometimes better than the film that he is in uh, a lot of the times, actually. But oh, we did Prisoners, one, actually. That, yeah, that'd and be I an example. fucking hate that movie. But anyway, don't hate it, man. <laughs> I, I hate it as much as I hate the Coen brothers. Right? Gotcha, so, gotcha, yeah. Um, but, uh, which is to oh. say that I don't. No, which is to say that I don't. <laughs> so, um, but I feel like this is like the crowning jewel of his film so far. Like, he is so... He he's playing this what he's wild at times he's he's subdued at times he's it's the most natural I've ever seen him while pulling from just everywhere as we talked about experience in Hellraiser earlier today I feel like a lot of his performance is he's just showing you experience through his performance as far as like it's a it's a mystery that plays out right this whole movie has a bit of mystery to it right and so you get to understand his story through the subtlety of his performance in a lot of ways, which is is almost one of those as loud as this movie can be at times. I think it's one of his more reeled in performances where in there will be blood. He is just like at 11. Most of the time here, you get to see just a whole, yeah. a whole color wheel of it should, just is incredible across the board. And then of course, Ratcliffe is continues to surprise me in in how far he has come since Harry, Harry Potter, Potter wrapped, right? <laughs> it's one of my favorite things about Daniel Radcliffe. You you mentioned Jeff as soon as as soon as Harry Potter wrapped, he was just like, "Give me the project." What's that? Uh, gun? I can't remember. What it's, I think it's called Guns Out or something. Where mm. his newest movie, he's got two guns oh, yeah. bolted to his guns hands. Akimbo. Guns Akimbo. Thank you. Um, yeah, Knives Out is the other one. But yeah, Guns Akimbo. He's got guns bolted to his arms, and it's like this fucked up act, dark comedy action flick. He did Equus on stage at the, I think, the London Royal Theater. He's, you know, he's he's doing like blinding horses while he's nude on stage a year after the last <laughs> Harry Potter movie. And I love when, actually, we recently did a movie with... Horns, too. Shit. Yeah, you got horns, you've got this... Um, yeah, horns. <laughs> a, a huge Joe Hill fan, so I immediately had to go and pop pop over there. And he's you realize in Harry Potter he's good, sure, but he's playing this this kind of he's he's a hero character. And when you give him some gray area to play with, or you give him some some challenges or something something with some range involved, he he shines. He's an exceptional actor. We just recently watched a movie that had um, uh, the Lighthouse. Robert Pattinson's another one who kind of got stuck with sparkly yeah. vampire Twilight reputation, but then he goes out and does Water for Elephants and The Lighthouse, and there's there's one that keeps I can't remember the name of it, but my brother keeps sending me clips from this wild movie where he's he's basically playing like this huckster preacher character, kind of like Paul Dano in There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and it's yeah, I love that's great. That's on Netflix. That's the. Uh... Do you remember what's oh, called? Sorry, yeah. What was that movie? That uh, oh gosh, it's uh, oh man, and it's got it's got Spider Man in it, and it's got so oh. many great movies. Yeah, that's a fantastic. Movie. Wait, which Tobey Maguire or or Keith? Not Keith Richards. What the fuck? Tom Holland. <laughs> Tom Holland. Tom Holland. The the best blend of all of the different Spider Mans. Excellent. Um, yes, though I think Keith Richards as Spider Man is a missed opportunity. I would I pay. Think so. I'd, I'd pay big money to see like Spider Man the final years, and it's Keith Richards <laughs> Spider Man in a retirement home. It's like I just can't. Ever since I got old, it's just the web doesn't come like it used to. You know, I don't know how Keith Richards sounds, <laughs> but uh, I love these these actors like Daniel Radcliffe and and like Robert Pattinson who are. 
actively breaking the mold. It's kind of a reverse trajectory from Daniel Craig. And I don't mean that unkindly. Daniel Craig's mm-hmm. a brilliant actor, but Daniel Craig started with really unusual film projects like uh, Love is the Layer Devil. Layer Cake. And- Layer Cake. Um, he, and he started and Hotel Splendide. He's doing, he did all these like weird art house things where he, flashbacks of a fool. Now I'm just naming Daniel Craig movies from his <laughs> right? early career. But he's he's like this brilliant art house actor who... Once he does layer cake and someone thinks, hey, he'd be good as James Bond, you almost you almost feel I almost feel like sometimes when actors hit big like Robert Downey Jr., they get priced out of interesting projects because they become too, too big, too much of a household name. And that's one of the things that I love about Robert Pattinson and Daniel uh, and Daniel Radcliffe is they didn't allow themselves to be priced out of being interesting where it's like oh well we have this really fucking crazy script the whole the whole um budget for this movie was three million dollars that is nothing yeah so (laughs) when you and when you think like you got both paul dano and daniel radcliffe they did it they did it for snickers bars and cokes yeah you got like a hot cup of coffee and a handshake right like I, i love when when artists put the art first and don't let themselves just become a commodity mm. to be to be you know to be Absolutely. used as bait to draw people to a theater, um, and no nobody's being baited into watching this one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, you know, it's it's funny you mention that because like you look at uh, um, Robert Pattinson and Daniel Radcliffe, and they kind of got that fuck off money at you know with those two huge franchises. Totally. I think Radcliffe is worth like ninety five million dollars, and then whatever Robert Pattinson, whatever he got paid, it wasn't enough. But uh, you know, like after that, they, I think they got that realization instead of buying into the hype and you know like whatever or getting crushed by the internet memory they were like i can just do what i want now and i think that that's an amazing freedom i think that there's actually a really good lesson in there you know like like obviously we cannot the lesson is not make 95 million dollars and do what you want but (laughs) but it's you know like you find that level of comfort and stability and don't forget you know like that you can do what you want you know a little bit right yeah, the, I mean, and the lesson's not don't make ninety five million dollars and do what you no. want. Listen, listener, right. if you can, if you can swing that hammer, man, hit that nail, <laughs> and then chuck a couple bucks our way over at patreon.com slash quillinfilm. But uh, yes, yeah. So this movie starts. It's a. This is a really strange movie. We're actually talking about this with again with Hellraiser earlier today. Some when you run into a film that's hard to categorize, is it horror? Is it a drama? With this movie. It's billed as a as a comedy drama, but I I, do, I think this is a movie that defies classification. There's elements of romance. It's like a romantic mm-hmm. comedy musical drama. Like there's there's not a word for what this film accomplishes. There is no I don't think there is a genre that has this type of work in it because I haven't. Well, me I'm fairly young. I'm thirty and whatever, but. I have not seen something that has a genre representative of this type of work. This is very this feels very fresh to me. It feels very new, super audacious. Um and even the way that it's shot, the way that the the uh, this might be a good time to dive into one of my favorite aspects mm-hmm. of this film, which is the score and the way that the score interacts with the dialogue. That's amazing to me. The, yeah. Like there's a there's a great scene in here 
where uh, uh, Daniel Radcliffe's character, and I, I will just talk about it as though everyone's seen it because it's kind of pointless. Yeah. There's no way yeah. to just tell this, the plot. At this point, yeah, we have yeah. to, yeah. Right, the, the plot is there's there's a guy in the woods and he finds a dead body and the dead body becomes kind of animated, has some kind of vague superpowers and helps him get back to civilization. That's pretty much what happens. And over the course of the movie, they learn lessons about life. That, it doesn't sound as compelling as it actually is So we're just going to dive in and, and talk about it As though we're all on the same page There's that scene where Daniel Radcliffe's character Manny, the dead body, is sitting And he he wants to see another picture of Sarah He's seen that picture of Sarah on the cell phone And he's fallen in love with this image of this girl um, And he has Paul Dano dress up as Sarah Using garbage that they found in a, in a gully Like, you know, off in the woods somewhere and it starts with the hilarious line, which is, hurry up before you starve and die. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when Paul Dano actually does come out dressed as, as Sarah, and he's got, you know, he's, he's got the hair and the dress and the whole shebang, and he's, uh, man, he's trying to remember the, his name, or the name of this girl, because uh, Paul Dano has convinced him that it's a girl that he knew in his life. And he goes, Laura... And he goes, Laura, like, that's good, Manny. What's her last? What? And then what's her last name? And he goes, Laura Dern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But uh, but it, it after that moment, he goes, he goes, no, no, I think you're beautiful. And then when uh, when Paul Dano thinks that, oh, this is stupid, I need to stop. Manny starts going, bop, 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 on mm-hmm. screen. That's just straight up. That was the performance. It's, it's Daniel yeah. Radcliffe sitting as a corpse, staring pretty much down the barrel, going, bop, 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 bop. And Paul Dano's like, what the, f- what are you doing? And he goes, I'm singing a song so you don't overthink things. And then the bop, bop, bop starts looping. And the sounds that they make and the sounds of nature and little, it, it swells into score. So you have soundtrack and score introduced as characters begin to sing the songs. Mm-hmm. This this movie is is strange because it really does feel like the cinematic experience that we're having isn't created by the filmmakers. It's created by the characters in the film. Yeah, that was the feeling that I had, that we were watching it all being created in the moment by these two characters. Right, which we are. <laughs> in a sense which we are i mean that's that's movies that's how movies work right but, but yeah um so what did you well you know it's 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 in, it's interesting too because um kind of like literally just playing off that idea you know they have that great <laughs> that great dialogue like of you know i die i shit myself my cells die that shit themselves <laughs> we all die we shit ourselves and our shit becomes one and they're like that's beautiful man <laughs> and like like the movie, it starts to play with this idea of um, what's real, what's not, who's the main character, who's not. You know, they almost have some like like threatened twists at the end, which I won't get into quite yet. But sure, like, yeah. and and it and it does this so elegantly that you stop worrying about what you know, like okay, what are the rules of this universe, and what's the you know what's going to happen next because of the the equation that they must follow? They're like, no man, there's no equation, there's no you know hierarchy here. We're on a journey through this guy's you know treatise on farts as a as symbology for loneliness <laughs> and madness, and you're just gonna fucking go on a ride. And like you said, it's got to be one of the freshest feeling movies I've seen in 
years mm-hmm. for sure which shouldn't be a surprise coming out of i mean i'm sure listeners at this point are sick of hearing us say it but like there's a reason we keep dipping into the a24 well when you we watch a couple of clunkers we're like shit we need a good movie let's throw a dart at the you know the a24 catalog yep. and we can watch yeah. something they're they're really going for it you know it we used to say on that we still do sometimes on the show but we've it started to lose its sting because of movies like this we used to say they used to make movies and and then you know we went through a phase where we were watching lots of shit with cg or hackneyed plots and things and it got discouraging so we we were like oh man back in the 60s and 70s oh the big pageant but but really man some of these smaller production companies a24 among them are making things like this and yep. Swiss Army Man is a hell of a movie. Like whatever you think about it, there's there's no denying that it this is this is very original, very well acted. It's it's slick too. It doesn't look mm-hmm. like you gave two two newbies, you know, 3 million dollars and sent them off into right. the woods. This is a fully Occ- realized Occ- thing. Occasionally I do feel a little bit manipulated into feeling certain things, but other than that, I think the movie's perfect. How do you mean uh, expand on that? For, so, for instance, um, I think it's during like the the date scene when they're when he's you're on the bus and you do this and you do that. They they start singing the the Jurassic Park the Jurassic Park theme comes in quite a bit in in the middle part of this. Yeah, and so they they're singing the Jurassic Park theme and that that becomes part of the score. And then you feel an emotional connection to that because you I know that I love that score. It's 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 beautiful. And then they're showing clips of movies on on the. Uh, yeah, there's Jurassic Park and ET and all this stuff, and so I started to I started to feel a little bit like I was being manipulated into feeling a certain way because these are things you know, yeah. These are things that we know too, and this is the Jurassic Park theme, and then it started feeling a little bit like a music video to me, may and I, not in a, and not in a great way. May I offer a well, counterpoint to that? Yeah, please do. Okay, so the, I'm glad you brought up the bus scene because. Lit- I-, I rented this movie uh, It's on sale on Vudu right now I don't know if this episode will be up in time To have that done But it is a- a- on sale on Vudu right now So When I watched the bus scene I was so pissed that I had rented it Rather than, than bought it You know what I mean Because I- yeah. I'm sitting on my couch A grown ass man Watching two other grown men in the woods dressed in dresses humming the Jurassic Park theme to themselves and I was crying on my couch. It's fucking beautiful, dude. And I think here's what I think about the Jurassic Park theme, particularly in that moment. It's it's pre- you know, that whole scene's prefaced by like, I wanna place my lips against your lips. He's like, That's just kissing, it's too fast. I think I'd like to put my penis in you. He's like, That's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, you gotta you gotta it's not about that, man. And she's so beautiful that she takes your breath away. And here, now, welcome to the bus. And he shakes the bus a little. And, and he turns Manny's head to look towards the, you know, the front of the bus. And Manny, the, dude, Daniel Radcliffe's performance in that moment when he, as a corpse, looks up. And he, he has to emote without facially emoting. Mm-hmm. And the way that he sees Paul Dan, that beautiful use of, like, blurred, like, uh, like you know, Vaseline lens or powder filter to hide that it's actually really Paul Dano. You can kind of tell, but when he sees that light and that light breaks on his face and he goes, oh, my God. And you hear the Jurassic Park theme full on. It's And it's voices. It's that, like, cacophony of voices. You know why they picked that is because Manny only has that song in his head to represent Profound, vast, sweet. Like, if you don't know, Jurassic- and it works because it's Williams. <laughs> yeah. I, 
Oh, I disagree. Well, yes, off, look, the the music is brilliant because it's Williams. They're singing a John Williams song, and he's a score yeah. master for sure. But I also think that it works because it's a song. It's a it's a song that summons in all of us as a universal language to anyone who's seen Jurassic Park. It summons in us grandeur and awe and feelings of profound depth. John Williams is a perfect pick for this. Because if you're going to put a song in Manny's head in a jokey way earlier on, like, oh, you know the Jurassic Park theme. If you're going to put a song in his head, that means the extremity of human emotion, that just hearing the bars of it makes your heart swell and your the, the pace of your, your pulse quicken. Then what a perfect... What a perfect, unusual application of the Jurassic Park theme. When you hear that music, man, you can't help but feel emotional. And that's that's mm-hmm. one of the very limited number of tools that Manny has to express that. I love that. And, that, and that's why I feel uh, manipulated in a way, because it's you can't help but feel emotional. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, so... I, don't yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's true, but like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's always a wonderful conversation point that I I always get hung up on when people are, are, you know, and a lot of people say it. They're like, you know, I feel manipulated by this or like it's manipulative. And and in my humble opinion, like that is literally what movies do is they (laughs) manipulate you into feeling certain things. Yeah, right. But I I guess. Yeah. So it's like it's 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 it's, it's, kidding. No, it's it's funny because like better hide it better. (laughs) That's yeah, that's what I was wondering. It's it's funny because. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's funny because they, um, the choice is is in it's it's a it's a matter of I guess layers. Like like on a deeper movie, you know, they might have had no score there, you know, and they might not have had any reference there. And on a more shallow movie, they might have they would have probably had you know a much more like uh, traditional love song of some sort that's still just as manipulative, but like you know playing the scene a little bit more. Sh- straight for lack of a better term and um you know on this one they always chose they always chose that kind of like uh genuine moment with that veneer of humor to let us in and it was very interesting to me how they consistently nailed that that exact level of complexity okay so this is brilliant because i just had a realization with you know that's why you watch a movie to 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 be manipulated that's what we do and i think the reason that this struck me as feeling manipulated as much as it did is because of my love like steven spielberg is my favorite director william uh john williams is my favorite um composer of film score Mm. so that that is drilling directly into my soul when i hear that and when i see that so if had this been the E.T. flying theme, I think I probably would have been a ball on the floor. So, you know, it's <laughs> so I think it's just that it struck me a little bit more on a personal like the chord rang much more personal to me just because of my it's, it's I'm 43 years old and 40 years of my life. I've had Steven Spielberg and John Williams just as my like. Right. This is this is the yeah. That's so. Yeah, that that's a great that's a great point, Carl. I wonder and now 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 this is what we're really here for is Max and I are actually here to psychoanalyze you today. It's an intervention. <laughs> but uh but uh, I, I'm wondering because like what I what I'm responding what I'm hearing in you is something I felt in other places too, where I'm like, did they earn it, right? Did they mm-hmm. earn using something so important to Carl in this moment? To do that because you know it's you know like okay for if they had played the Schindler's List theme I would have been like oh you guys just lie you know no you know and so 
right? That's a really good question. Um, and I guess I guess I would say in this moment they did very clearly like pay homage to it. They recognized it. They said it out loud, you know, and they had it in the recreation of cinema, which was one of their chapters on the great things in life besides love. They said cinema, right? And they're like, and if you don't have, I'm going to make you a shirt, Carl. It's now, now that I know this, it's going to say like, if you don't know Jurassic Park, you don't know shit. (laughs) Cause that that quote from this movie, but uh, that's interesting. Do you feel like they earned it, or do you feel like they maybe like you know it was an easy punch for them? So for me personally, it was an easy punch. But I don't think that th- that's as filmmaker they're not concerned. They, to them, it was probably personal. Like why why are they pulling Jurassic Park? It probably meant something to to the writer, to the to the to the people making the film. You don't just pull that out of nowhere, right? right. It has to mean something. So I think it's just it just happened to fall on that. Like having this realization now, I feel like it is an earned moment because it was, it was meant for for everyone, and it just happened to like land with me more impactful than maybe it was intended to. Interesting. As you if, if that collection of words made any sense at all, I have a oh, lot yeah. of questions about everything you just said. <laughs> 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 no, but um, uh, no, it's interesting you said that as you were talking just now, man. I it struck me that. At least all every movie hits everybody differently. Obviously, any piece of art, everyone's no one's watching the same flick, no one's hearing the same song. It's it, because we all have different touchstones, we all have different emotional responses to different stuff. It's one of the beauties of cinema, and it's one of the reasons that you and I can keep doing this show. Is we're not going to just watch the movie and both say exactly the same shit. This movie in particular, though, I feel like there are certain movies where people go to it and everyone has a similar experience. Because, uh, not necessarily a criticism, I'm kind of softening my stance on this a little bit, but it is still a light criticism. So much of Hollywood is formulaic, and it's designed to push buttons, and it's designed to hit beats, and it's designed to, end of Act 1, we need to introduce this, at the end of Act 3, you know, or at the end of Act 2, heading into Act 3, we need the downturn and the whiff of death, which actually this film does have. There is the the traditional Blake. Uh, well, what's his name? Damn it, the guy. Anyway, save the cat. There's the whiff of death at the end of Act Two. There needs to be a a very oh, yeah. b- dire moment where death is on the line, and that's when you go into Act Three and you get your final conflict and your resolution. And that's cl- I think pretty clearly the bear, the bear attack in the woods. Mm-hmm. But but this movie in particular, because of I think its themes and the way that it approaches its material and the way that it's written, is a more personal film to each of us. Not, I don't mean to the directors, although it is also very clearly a, a very personal film for, for the, the writers and directors. Same people. But um, for I think, <laughs> I think that mo- most people who watch this movie are going to have a very personal response to it. And I think it's because the theme of the movie is life. I, I was thinking while I was watching this, if you – people always say like, all right, if aliens came to Earth, how would you, would you explain – our culture to them how would you explain life or what it means to be human how would you where would you even start i feel like in a bizarre way you could just show them this movie because not only does it it include all of these these really interesting life lessons like one of my favorite moments in this and i'm probably if i start crying carl carl or or whoever wants to jump in to save me from weeping do it but uh (laughs) it's the scene in the cave when he when um when Paul Dano's character, what's his name? It's not man. He's the other one. Manny and Manny and Hank. 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 Hank thank you. Um, 
when Hank is like, we need to go home, and and Manny asks, what is home? And he goes, home is, and he goes and grabs the cheese, the bag of cheese puffs, and he says, when this is home. And sometimes when you, they're cheese puffs, and when you eat them, you get orange on your fingers, and your mom probably told you to, to use a napkin to wipe it off, but I'll bet you just stuck it in your mouth and, and licked it off instead. That is the first of many moments where the writers, rather than choosing to talk in grand terms or broad strokes, as many people do, like, well, home is a, it's civilization, it's where humans come together and form complex groups, but that's not what home is. That's what that's what civilizations and cities and cultures and countries are. Home is these other yeah. things that Hank is talking about. Home is Cheeto dust on your finger. Home is, you know, the smell of the, the smell of your mother's perfume when you're a child, or the way that you remember the feeling of a of the carpet under your feet, or, or you know, like it's these little details that he picks out. Like this is home. This is an empty pizza box. I love the description, and then he flips that into describing what trash is, and then the beauty of the Manny character is he gets to cross-examine everything uh-huh. that Hank is pointing out, and and then he's making new connections based on just the information that he has, and those unusual connections reveal enormous amount, an enormous amount about isolation and 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 pain and the the awkwardness and the con- this, the internal contradictions of modern life as a human being on earth it covers an enormous amount of ground for being an hour and a half flick with two characters who are probably both kind of one is probably not real and one is totally in- in- insane you know <laughs> right you know you know it's really interesting i i think you just summed it up so beautifully and um the way so i didn't want to say this up front because i didn't want this comment to turn anybody off from this movie because it should quite do the it should do the opposite like one of my least favorite genres of movies are the kind of i i joke about them as being like a black and white movie about four kids sitting in a hotel room smoking cigarettes like you know but like it's you know movies like the dreamers and movies like you know like like where you have these very young people people debating existential dread and crisis, you know, through whatever kind of um, forced upon them, but just outside the window, like world event is going on. And I and that stuff always bothers me because it's people acting and talking too smart for themselves and too intellectually. And they're always like cutting each other down and taking the piss out of it. And this turns that around and it covers the same topics, love, death, loneliness, isolation, self-doubt, self-pity, you know, and it's but it does it with like kind of two sides of one personality, like you just said, where Manny's cross-examining Hank and and it's so honest and they're, you know, and and that's what made it was so smart about them being buddies as opposed to it being another romance it gets towards romance later but you know with it being more buddies in the woods is it has that true honesty of or that true kind of approachability of a friendship and i just thought that they did it so much better without this veneer of pretending to be important they're like no man it's still a movie about making a guy look like a girl with shit found in the woods but you're gonna relate to it so much better you know and i do think that it was i i I just can't applaud them enough for that. Like, and maybe, you know, obviously maybe it's the kind of movie we all needed to see in these crazy times. Maybe we wanted something to remind us about 
what's important and stuff and just fucking wipe all the bullshit going on away of 2020. But, um, but yeah, like, like without pretense, without cynicism, without nihilism, they're like, like you said, they're like, here is what it's like to be alive and I'm just going to be vulnerable and and the guy attacking him, I know I'm rambling, but I just love this point. The, the guy cross-examining him, Manny, isn't coming at him to hurt him at all. He's coming at him to help him. And I think that that's just so fucking wonderful. Really quick, I, I love that. But the I love what you said there, that he doesn't. he's not coming at him to hurt him. He's trying to understand. And yeah. in his failure to understand, you realize that we as he's point poking holes in what you know in what Hank is telling him like life is this and life is this and this is trash and then he goes well like mm. he goes like well I oh so I'm you know empty hollow useless they threw me away I'm trash so when people die do we hide them you know, yeah so dead people are trash like that and then later on especially it's it's definitely comical but it also makes you think like when they dig into they start talking about masturbation and he's like i'll bet you masturbate all the time i bet everyone masturbates all the time <laughs> he's like bro we can't no no no, we don't talk about that that's dirty and wrong and gross and he's like doesn't it make you feel good though and he's like well yeah but we don't it's we don't talk about that and you as they go through the movie you know hank is telling him all these wonderful things or strange things about life and then you know uh manny goes, manny starts wondering he's poking holes in the he's showing the contradictions of of modern human society and i think that brings up another thing you said uh, you were saying that this is a movie about you know like love and honesty but i also think in a, and i agree with all of those but i also think that this is a weird movie a movie that's oddly about self-deception as well and and the lies we tell ourselves yeah because you know like hank hank is trying to explain what life is to manny but he's explaining life in its most idealized and romantic form so what do you got carl Oh, I was going to say to himself. It's like the more you think about this movie, like these the conversations, the way the dialogue is written in this film can only it only works between a living person and a corpse. That's the only way that because the corpse isn't trying. Manny isn't trying to push his own agenda. It's all curiosity. When he has a question, it's not to challenge. It's to better understand. When a living human talks to another living human, as as generous and and open-minded as we want to be when we're chatting with somebody about something, we're always in the back of our mind trying to push our own agenda or to try and and poke a hole in a a theory because maybe you don't understand it, but you're also going to try and put put in your little – you have something to say about it, right? But Manny doesn't because he's he's – he's learning there isn't any agenda to push he starts empty he starts but at the end of the day manny doesn't exist it's hank explaining these things to himself and he's poking holes in his own philosophy right man there's a there's a moment in this movie wild as shit it's so good there's a there's a moment in this movie that just breaks my brain every time i see it and this is the second time I've watched it, but it's a standout moment. And it's when, you know, they're on the it's they're on the bus and it's not the big girl reveal. It's talking about what a bus is. And he goes, oh, uh, buses are buses are uh, a way for people to get around who are too poor to drive themselves. And oh, OK, well, so, hey, everybody. No, 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 no. We're all strangers on the bus. 
oh, okay. And you, so you just read a book or listen to music. And we sing songs together. Nope, nope. The people would think you were weird and they'd stare at you. So you just put your earbuds in and you just listen to your own music. And then he goes, and you and you tilt your head and you don't want to look at anyone else because they'll think you're weird. And and as he's saying it, you realize how sad all of this mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Like a you're, we're in a we're all in a giant moving thing, sharing a space, sharing an experience. We're all going somewhere, but you're strange and outcast if you try and engage with other people. And what we should be doing, what he's teaching Manny is, what we should be doing is isolating ourselves from each other and just looking like looking away from humans out at the world. And then they there's a visually. They he tapes together all those pictures of like you know the world you know it, it's mm-hmm. it's pictures taken from the Sports Illustrated that are you know like a beautiful tropical island or a city or a building and he tapes them all together and puts them on a reel so they go by in sequence and Manny is a, obviously a dead body that he's just propped up with his head tilted and he's looking out um, clear plastic wrap that's smeared with mud and dirt and like the detritus of the forest and on the other side are these shitty blurry images of like what the world would be like and manny looks out that window and he's got erasers in his ear listening to the (laughs) most haunting cover of cotton eye joe i've ever heard in my life that fucking like yeah that like Mm -hmm. minor key slowed down cotton eye joe it's amazing but manny he's like why is it always the worst songs that get stuck in your head (laughs) (laughs) and and i have this I have this there's this great moment where Manny looks out and this is this is what he's experiencing and we as modern viewers are looking like ha what a, what an idiot and his line is when I get home I'm going to ride the bus every day yeah mm. and you're like yeah. holy shit you know like the 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 awe that Manny feels for everyday normal experiences it, that recapturing those those first moments, he is a completely unjaded being, kind of relearning what it means to be human. Yeah, and it, you know, yeah, oh, go ahead. you know, you know, you know, it's it's so that's that there's an I had this other point written down, and I was like, I don't think I'm ever gonna work this in, but this is like the perfect because it. I was trying to think of how to say this. What separates this movie from, honestly, a movie it reminded me a lot of was Fight Club, where it's trying to express like this angst of, you know, the like living and and in a certain time. But that one only speaks, Fight Club, which is my favorite movie of all time, like only speaks to males like 16 to 45, 55, right. and, mm-hmm. and whatever. This movie, if you watch it as, like, a teenager, you go, oh, man, you know, I'm not as weird as I thought I was. I'm not as lonely as I thought I was. And then if you watch it as, like, a disaffected 20-year-old, you're like, you know, maybe I maybe there are things worth living for or reconnecting for or whatever. And then you, it's like me, when I was watching it, I, I kept getting these allegories for being a parent because I'm a parent, and he's a parent towards Manny. And you and not not only is he teaching him about the world, but he's reflecting back upon himself about what are the mm-hmm. negative lessons, like teaching a kid to not sing with other people on the bus when you're like, why am I teaching my kid to not share joy? Right. And this movie, mm-hmm. you know, really, really <laughs> will work for people, anybody over the age of 13 who's mature enough to handle well you don't even have to be mature man you can be no. immature just laugh this movie's meant for the immature yeah you totally. watch it under 13 it's a movie about farts and and adults acting weird and yeah. that's you know and that's one of the big things that this movie brings to the table is like right off the bat they're like is that is that why you don't fart around me you know like this movie mocks us for our maturity it's like uh mm. are we gonna pretend like everyone on earth doesn't doesn't shit 
we all shit. We all fart. Like, there's that great moment when uh, when <laughs> when Manny's looking at the um, Sports Illustrated and he gets the weird roving boner. And uh, <laughs> and uh, he like Paul, you know, uh, Paul Dano freaks the fuck out and runs away, and it knocks Manny's head down so he can see his own direction. And he's like, "Oh God, what is that? My body's <laughs> disgusting." <laughs> <laughs> and but but uh, you oh know, and that's and, and that is so funny. But at the same time, that's one of those moments that digs into your head a little bit, and yeah. you're sitting on your couch and you're like. Yeah, why? Why am I? It's like sometimes you know you're like, oh my god, I'm so, oh my god, my ass is so hairy, I gotta fucking shave or whatever, you know. But you, you yeah. why are we? Why do we get grossed out about our bodies? Why don't we fart in front of each other? Why don't we acknowledge that we all shit? Like, there, I think Manny has that great. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he's he's basically saying something like, um. If oh yeah, it's in the end when they're in the 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 backyard and he's like, if maybe we're all just ugly and a little screwed up, and if everyone just all acknowledged that, maybe we would have a, a happier, less stressful life. This is kind of a movie about not being ashamed to be alive, and instead yeah. taking rather than being worried about how you're living or or how other people are perceiving how you're living, maybe just be you, you know or because we're all, we're all kind of the same thing. I I fucking love the 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 different the emotional roller coaster of this film is incredible. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's so true because they they do it too, and sometimes this can go really badly. Like, but again, in it in its in its effort to not be pretentious, it does come right out and say the things they're trying to say without you know kind of saying, "Aren't we so clever?" Like he's like, "Oh my god, my boner is disgusting," right. and immediately Paul Dano instead of saying, "Yeah, man, that's where he's like, no, 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 that's natural, that's okay," you know, yeah. and then um and that happens over and over again. There was this, this, these scenes as they were rolling by through the on the bus, the montage of like him teaching about life through the bus, the there. The, the the bus ride simulation, like you said, with the beautiful scenery going by right. and about love and about movies and about adventure. And I wrote, but above all friendship, question mark, because I was like, is that where they're going? And literally they start singing that Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe are singing in the score this made up song where they ta- where they're talking about friendship. They're like, friendship is the most important thing. And I'm like, look, it's good. Good for you guys. Like, just acknowledge it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just just embrace what you're trying to say and and yeah and it is it's funny because the fart thing the just saying it out loud the the you know telling people that it's okay to sing on the bus it it does this thing where it's like yeah you know you're saying you're so mature cuz you got to hide your farts but is that are you really the mature one are you really the evolved one or is that the one who just says the truth that we all know are they the evolved one and i love that yeah yeah well what do you think of that carl Carl's, yeah, I'm, oh, you're good. No, I'm here. I'm okay. just, it's, I, I don't have anything better to say than than the two of you have just expressed that and, and that whole, yeah. It's um, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. It's wonderfully spoken. And in and in, in, in just in hearing uh, the last few moments, uh, it just makes me want to watch this again and and experience this because I feel like we we learn. I learned through watching this movie a little bit about myself, which is even though I was being manipulated by, by the dress. (laughs) But, but no, it's a movie that you step away from and, and have hopefully learned something, but it didn't feel like you were 
like you weren't being taught a lesson. You know what right. I mean? It was just it's just an adventure and a journey. So I, don't I maybe yeah. I'm maybe I'm reaching really far here, but I just as you said the manipulated thing, the Jurassic Park score popped back into my head because <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. it's an earworm. Um, but I, I just realized Jurassic Park is a movie about something that was dead that is brought back to life through human attention, but then ultimately fails because it's mismanaged by the humans who bring it back to life and is, yeah. but, well, yeah, obviously there's two sequels, but at, ostensibly if there weren't sequels, the end of that movie is that resurrected thing having to be abandoned again because it's, right. you know, it's past its time, which is thematically what this movie is about as well. Well, they also, they, they, you know, they were all female and so they couldn't mate, but then life finds a way and, you know, that's, I, I like that life finds a way. I like that. What, uh, yeah. And look, another movie with butts in it. Hold on to your butts. This movie. Oh my gosh. There's the connection there. The big pile, the big pile of Triceratops shit. That is one big pile of shit. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah! By the way, fun fact about uh, Daniel Radcliffe's butt—that is a butt mold. That's a—it's a prosthetic butt, and they made the prosthetic butt. They—they they took a cast of his butt the day that he was pitched and agreed to make this movie. They came and pitched it. He agreed. They made a cast of his butt and left. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so that's not his actual hairy butt. I, you know, I. I'm not sure, but there was that, especially the one where they're like flipping into the river, and you get that kind of like that like deep crack. Shot. Yeah, <laughs> I I uh, I read about that scene, and they said that like when they shot it, they were like they told them they're like, hey, we saw a lot of crack in that shot. He's like, that's <laughs> he's like that's the movie I signed on for. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, incredible. That's another thing that I was when you were just just saying that I I realized we've been like talking about how how effective these performances are, how good these performances are. But also, I think we should acknowledge these are very brave performances because both of these actors have to do a lot of really embarrassing stuff. And I, because of the way it's written and its content, I, I love that they walk the walk as well as literally talk the talk, you know, like. That's so Absolutely. true. Yeah, we're we're seeing farts. We're seeing. There's that hilarious moment where Paul Dano pushes Daniel Radcliffe's <laughs> boner back into his body. <laughs> One of the things I love about being somebody that likes to act in things from time to time is when it's it's, it's very difficult for me to watch anything and not sort of put myself in that actor's shoes. Like how would how would I have addressed this particular scene, or would I have been comfortable in this moment? And this is one of the rare movies where that completely switched off in my brain. And I didn't even like, I didn't have that, that moment of no, I would have made a different choice there maybe, or, or what, how would I have handled that scene? And that was not, that was completely clicked off for me. And during this entire, I mean, it was because it's so surreal. I don't know. It's just the, yes, a testament to the two of them, but surreal is a good um, word for this movie while being like bizarrely grounded in real reality in a way. No, it is. It's very, that's the, the the brilliance of this movie though, is it feels like a Kaufman esque sort of dream movie, like what is happening, but it never feels like we have stepped out of our world Right into some this doesn't exist in some fantasy realm somewhere where like Jeff had said earlier there aren't any like rules to follow we're not setting up because 
the rules don't exist in in the real world. We create our we create them as we go. We're right. just making shit <laughs> right. up and doing the best we fucking can, right? There are no rules. Right. So it just it never it never felt like a fantasy to me. It felt very grounded in reality because it's so you understand that this he's probably a crazy person. This corpse is obviously not alive. Right. But just like just like Hank we we believe it because we're there with him experiencing it through his through his eyes and what he is is what he knows his reality to be right and that's that's the brilliance of this whole thing it never feels like fantasy it always feels grounded in reality with this person's experience one of the things i most loved about that the the thing where this feels it feels even when it feels like totally outlandish and impossible it feels Mm -hmm. Honest, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even if it's not the truth, it feels true. Um, and the the end of the movie is bizarre because they're okay. He's getting arrested. We find out that he wasn't actually on an island. He was just like in the woods behind this woman's house. It's crazy it's behind, shit. Yeah, it's nuts, man. But oh uh, my god. But at the very end, he's like, and he used his body's special powers to rescue me, and and they catch that on film. And yeah. the, do I, they? Well, that's the thing. Now, I have a th- I, one of the things that I've thought watching this, the first time I watched it and this time, I've wondered. He has a line at the beginning. I thought when I died, I would see my life flash before my eyes, but I saw a whole lot of nothing. Pause. I saw you. I'm wondering if this, part of me wonders if this whole movie is the last thing that goes through his brain as he's hanging himself that that was my first and last thought because it, it's always that um it's i fuck i wish i remember the name of the story or the book it became popular again towards the end of lost towards the end of that whole run like are they alive are they dead there's a book about uh, i think it's a civil war soldier who uh, was a deserter and he gets captured and then the uh, they, occurrence at owl creek bridge yes and they hang him over the bridge but the rope breaks, and then he goes yep. and lives his whole life. But then, as soon as he dies, the 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 rope he gets hung. It's all yep. his. It's like the inner light episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. It's like most no, Russian literature. No, I'm yeah, right. I I actually yeah no I have that written down because um I think I'm choosing to believe that not that it was real, but that it doesn't matter. Like the way that they end it is just like a who fucking cares? There goes his farting body off into the you know wilderness again or into the wild and he's okay. But um there was a part where he when they were hanging from the pipes that where they were trying to go over the water and he fell down and it looked like he was being hung again. Yeah. And I was and I was like this this has got to be an homage to the occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. And um, fantastic Twilight Zone episode. The only Twilight Zone episode from the original series that wasn't written by Rod Sterling. Um, yeah. And uh, and it's it's just one of my favorite things. And um, yeah, I do think I do think you're probably right that it is got to be just the thing that went through his mind when as he's up there dying and like reflecting on his bad choices. But I'm just not going to let it into my heart. He rode the farting corpse back to society and everything was good. <laughs> he learned his lesson. <laughs> to take it back to something that you said, Jeff, earlier in the episode, which I, and that was just a thought that had crossed my mind. But I I do think that this is a, this is that kind of movie where, like, was it real? Is it not? Is this reality? Is he crazy? And you said earlier, like, but in a way it doesn't matter. 
mm-hmm. at the end of this movie, as Daniel Radcliffe is farting off into the sunset with that big, like, <laughs> the one, like a lazy eye and a huge smile on his face. I love, I love, by the way, that, <laughs> that Sarah just looks at her husband and goes, what the what fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> I think that's the last line in the movie is what the fuck. <laughs> but um, I, I love that, like, regardless of what that ending means or what I, you know, oh, is it real? Is it not? When the when the credits roll and I turn the TV off, I find that I'm still left with so much of this movie inside my head now. It, it, it hasn't gone away. I'm not just like, what a killer movie. I have... There are things that have planted and are growing, and there's things that ha- are slowly changing other things that I think. Like, this this movie mm. inhabits you for a, a while after you're done with it, you know? Um, I jumped straight from watching it to this, so it's super fresh, but I remember the first time I watched this, this lingered for a couple months. Man, this is, uh, I think, three or four days ago that I watched, maybe five days ago. Yeah. Close, damn near a week, actually, since I watched this. Mm-hmm. And it's still, I'm still on that bus like experience, like learning the lesson of what life is. It's it hasn't left me for fucking seven days, man. Like I love that this movie leaves um, vents in it too. Like it, this, if this movie had demanded of the viewer that that this is real, you're watching something real, or if it had insisted that the whole thing was a dream, you can't insist that it's a dream because no, there's nothing more boring than watching. There are no when there's no stakes and right, nothing right, matters yeah. right this is all a dream like you know but i love that one of the one of the first songs not the first there's a great one that opens i love by the way the title cards at the beginning when we're getting that like bum 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 that big huge score is they're jet skiing they're ass skiing across the ocean oh, yeah. um it's a it's a poodoo <laughs> as he's yeah as he's bombing around in the poodoo I love we get Paul Dano credit, you know, credit next to Paul Dano's face. And then we cut to Daniel, <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe, like getting murked by like this ocean spray in his face. His mouth's all jacked up. One eye's all lazy. He looks yeah. like shit. And it's like Daniel Radcliffe. That's his title card. Right. Fucking beautiful. <laughs> but, but the second song that we hear in this flick is the beginning of our of our vents that takes the pressure off the viewer. It. it there are movies where it becomes a game for the viewer, and it's very distracting, where you're like, oh, is this real, or is this a dream? Oh, this might be real. And now you're not watching the movie. Now you're trying right. to d- solve the movie. It's like watching a Kaufman movie. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> when you're watching any Kaufman flick. Actually, this one did remind me a bit of Eternal Sunshine, the way that it... I, it's uh, Several times Eternal Sunshine crept into my brain. Yep. But I, I love that bit where where man he uh, he tries to prop Manny up on his on his arm so they can like you know lay looking at each other like you would at a sleepover and then Manny just collapses onto the ground because he's dead and um and Hank starts singing and the first song he sings is he's like I love I, my mom used to sing it but I can't remember the words and he goes crazy I'm fucking crazy <laughs> that's the lyrics that he sings yep. you know and. Basically, maybe just maybe I'll make it alone. Right, <laughs> right. Um, and then he, when he's sitting against the wall, he has that really fucking. There's a there's moments in the where this movie is so honest, and it's we're not used to hearing people be this honest. Where he's right. he's singing that song, and he leans against the wall, and he goes, the the final line of that little like rendition, he goes, I uh, goes, but I'll probably die. And you're like, yeah. oh shit! Wow. Yeah. This is a dude alone in the woods, like he's starving to death, and he's massively dehydrated. And this is a moment where he's like, "I'm, 
I'm probably going to die. And then there's a there's sort of like an echo of that near the very end where Daniel Radcliffe is propped up against the trunk of the tree in the same way that Paul Dano is sitting against the wall of the cave. And Paul Dano is getting dragged off into the woods by his leg by a bear. And Daniel Radcliffe or, or um, uh, Manny is tr- is still talking because because he's dead and he doesn't he doesn't I, what makes this so effective is he never experiences the stakes and that allows for a dispassionate analysis of everything that's happening. It's this man is about to be mauled to death by a bear, which is like the height of human. It, it, this is the extremity of, of a human moment. But when you're like, oh, my God, a fucking dying. Oh, my God, a fucking bear. You, you can't. You can't pull anything out of that because it's just such a mess of emotion. So when you have mm-hmm. Manny leaning against the tree going, you're afraid right now because you're you're worried that your eyes will close and you'll stop breathing and your heart will stop beating and you'll shit yourself <laughs> <laughs> and you'll die. And in that moment, and especially maybe it's especially because of Hank's acceptance of that, but in that moment, like... I don't know about you guys, but I had a I had a very real pang. Obviously, twenty twenty has been a very fraught year where everyone's a little nervous. But like, I had a I had a real pang of that human thing of we try not to think about it all day long, but you do occasionally have these moments where you recognize your mortality. And fuck, is the idea of dying frightening? It when really... you get into your forties, it's a lot more frequent than you would <laughs> like to think about, <laughs> right? Sorry, I mean, yeah, I know, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't talk, but, but yeah, no, I mean, but then again, this—that's kind of what the movie is telling us, which is like, yeah, we're, no, absolutely, we're, yeah, we're all human, and we all fear this thing in a way. We're all know? riding the bus together. Why don't we sing a song? It might make it easier. Yeah, 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 man. Damn, well said, Carl. Yeah, I know that was just like. Boom. Oh my that god, mic up. drop. That was beautiful. That's that's why that's why I continue to be allowed on this show. <laughs> Wait, it's our show. Um I Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, I was I was just gonna like the one the 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 thing I was waiting to say like for the end, but like Carl just did so well on it. I was gonna say the thing of um oh where is it? He's like he's like hey, when I Hank, when I masturbate, I'm gonna think about your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. And yeah, well, he, he I, I love the line immediately before it too. And he's like, you know, my mom, my mom told me the, the whole bit is hilarious. Honestly, I one of the reasons I didn't take notes this time is because I often have a bad habit of just writing quotes that I like. Almost every line of dialogue in this movie is a quote that I love. You know what I mean? Like, I would just yeah, chance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It had that feeling, um, I you know, uh, with the the script and the editing and everything is so tight knit, and it had that feeling where you know they were just sitting, you know, when as they were developing this, it feels like they were just sitting there, they were riffing, and they probably had these huge like diatribes, these huge uh, monologues about what they're trying to say in this scene. They're like, okay, but how can we say it in one sentence yes. without pretense? And that's what like every line of dialogue feels like that, where they're like. You know, and and this will come back when we talk about folklore about <laughs> bad filmmakers like me trying to put everything in the kitchen sink in it because you're like this is the only movie I'm gonna make and I've got to put every single idea in it and I've got to over explain it and they're like no man everybody farts that's all yeah. we need to say right? <laughs> like, so I think there is there is a line of dialogue in this movie that perfectly sums all of that up 
there the line is you can't just say everything that comes into your head that's bad talking that's bad talking <laughs> yeah 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 dude I... yeah <laughs> um oh, so, god yeah. yeah it's the um i i wanted this oh right i'm sorry we were we were talking about <laughs> thinking about uh Thinking about Hank's mom while we're jerking off. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, right before that, we find out the way that the way that the heartbreak, all of the heartbreak in this movie is revealed inside a humor, inside a joke in a weird mm-hmm. way. It's like it's like a, the, a, it's like the teaspoon of sugar to make the medicine go down. It, but it's also like the poison pill inside the, the app. It's like, you know. You're getting you're you're having fun. You're laughing. I mean, honestly, that first bit when he's like, "Oh yeah," and then you know maybe you meet two people and you and you kiss and you love each other and that's what love is. And here's a oh, it's a tyrannosaurus. And here's a dog. And we're seeing all these cool set pieces and like made out of sticks and trash and leaves. And then Manny goes, and that's and he's like, "So you're out here because nobody loves you and you're empty mm. and useless, you know and like." Fuck, dude. Manny just just pops the bubble, you know? And in mm-hmm. a in this scene where they're talking about masturbation for the first time, it kind of happens similarly. Um uh Paul or Hank got caught masturbating and his mom made a joke that, or his dad said that every time you masturbate it expends energy, so if you do it too much, you'll die early. And his mom, who's like 40 years old and and Hank's like 11, made a joke and said, oh, if you masturbate enough, you could catch up to me and we could die at the same moment. And you're like, oh, that's a fucking weird joke. Yeah. But then there's the tag at the end, which is I never could have I never could have masturbated fast enough because she died shortly thereafter. And you realize that he lost his mom at 11 yeah. years old. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. What a way to drop that bomb on us you know that's good writing man sneak it in the back and cut our legs out from under us while we're laughing and then but you also get to understand his relationship with his dad a little bit in the same moment you get to learn about both parents and yeah within like 20 seconds really tight script but this is a movie that doesn't force you to suffer which i love there's so many movies that would make you sit in that you know, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, she died shortly thereafter. And then the scene, we go quiet and it's just the crackle of the fire and we have to contemplate the death of our parents. This movie doesn't do that. This movie has Manny look over at, or kind of like roll his head over at Hank and go. So when you masturbate, you think about your mom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and Hank's like, no, dude, no, that's don't you can't be saying shit like that. And then and then the even the next joke has a real a real strong heart to it cuz the next joke is Hank when i masturbate i'm going to think mm-hmm. about your mom laugh 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 and then he says but if we both do it then we won't be weird cuz there'll be we'll all be doing it the way that we yep. all fart the way that we all whatever you know i thought that was really cool the way that they this is a this movie feels like you're like boxing in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. They they faint at you with laughter, and it's almost like a tickle fight. You know, you're like, oh, Mike Tyson, you're tickly tickly, and then they gut punch you. <laughs> and you're mm-hmm. like, holy shit, movie! What the hell? Why am I sobbing? This is horrible. But then musical number or a joke or a beautiful set piece, dude. I can't even imagine how much time it would have taken to build a bus out of like sticks, leaves, and. Oh my god! What, let's talk yeah. about the sets. Let's dig into the sets a little bit. Cause... Yeah. 
the the production designer on this is just did an astounding job. Whoever was doing, you know, art direction and stuff, because it really did it it really felt like the shit they would have found in the woods. Yeah. But they but they but put together in the most beautiful way. And they didn't it didn't become some like you know, over the top Tim Burton kind of like false reality. They were still in the <laughs> woods, but it was like, it's just like you, you know, you found your kid's creation at magic hour and the light yep. is just perfect. And right. it's going to look as great, man. Yeah. That was, that was one of my favorite things. Cause like it added to the intimacy of this. So well, it really felt like, man, maybe they just like made these two guys build this. I don't know. Maybe they did, you know, <laughs> could be. Um, yeah, because it didn't feel designed. Yeah, it, it literally did feel like, like you're saying, it felt like maybe the two actors, maybe they went out like, all right, you got two days. Here's all the stuff. Build the shit. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Well, with a $3 million budget, you know, Daniel Radcliffe is also the costumer. Paul Dano is also right. the set designer, you know, and the they gaffer. They have had to do some extra work. Right. Yeah. They're um, holding fucking stick. Well, actually, no, they're both in the, never mind. That's stupid. <laughs> Well, I mean, at one point, Paul Dano's definitely pushing <laughs> pushing stick, but um, and Daniel Radcliffe has got a divining <laughs> rod in his pants. Um, but what one of the one of the things that I felt about the like the the especially the bus set, but also like they build a house, they build a movie theater, and you're right, I, I love what you what you said there, Jeff. Where it's like you you caught your kid's uh, creation or whatever at the the golden hour, and it just looks. For some reason, it looks magical. And I realized, as you were saying that, that one of the things I love about this movie is it feels like, even though they're two grown men and the subject matter that they're talking about is a little more, is you know, more germane, more advanced than what, like, kids would be talking about. But this really does feel, after the threat of starvation has passed, really does feel like two friends building tree forts in the woods. Like, mm-hmm. the, obviously n- not to this extent of, like, intricacy or, like, pulley systems and shit, but this rem- there's moments where the light hits these, these stick things that they're building, the, like, the, ho- the stick house and stuff. Me and my friends built that type of stuff as kids, and that really, again, Carl, like, talk about finding the strings of manipulation. I had no problem yeah. with it, but you could see the puppeteer. You know, to yeah. the cabin in the woods. Here's the puppeteers. You know, like that brought such a wave of nostalgia for me. It it harkens back to a more innocent time, childhood, and in a way, this is kind of like the way it's written is kind of like two friends talking about like, hey, what's you know, one friend has has already seen the the porno mags or the the Sports Illustrated mags, and this. And, you know, Daniel Radcliffe hasn't got there yet. So it's the older friend being like, oh, yeah, take a hey. look at this, buddy. Now, just imagine them without their clothes on. Why? What's under their clothes? Oh, you know, boobs and stuff. It, it feels yeah. like <laughs> it feels like a coming of age story mm-hmm. about a dead man coming of age. It's yeah. fucking wild. I love it. Um, I wanted to talk. What was the it. line Whoa. about that? So speaking of the. I thought I thought it was a line that was very interesting. Again, I was the one writing down just like quotes of the dialogue in the you can't, notes. You can't avoid it. It's like the Big Lebowski. Every uh, single yes, thing is seriously. fucking hilarious. Uh, it's, it's 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 a line that is, is with this Sports Illustrated thing, and we're talking about women, and then well, it's the internet now, and you can like you can <gasps> whatever. And it says before the internet, every girl was a lot more special. Yeah, that's a heartbreaker of a line. Yeah. Man. Yeah, and it's, I mean, that's yeah. a, there's a lot to unpack there. That can be taken a lot of different ways. Definitely. But I think with these two, where they're coming from, it's, 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 
It could be problematic. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I can see that. But um but I I I found it to be just a what, what what did you what did you think of it? Just give me give me your your first first gut reaction unpacking of that line. What do you think? Uh, of before it? the internet, every girl was a lot more special. Right in the context of that scene where he's showing yeah, him like a magazine he's, and he's right was my first. It's like damn, you're right. Right, but because it's still like you're still, I don't know, man. It's it's such a weird thought because when you when you are coming of age, it's like. For 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 people my age, maybe like the JC, you find the JC Penney's catalog, and you're like looking at lingerie, yeah. and that's like your first introduction. Been there, then you dude. do have that. Then you do have that older friend who who has his his grand his his uncle's fucking Playboy or whatever, and right. you like you see a, a naked breast for the first time, and you're like, holy <gasps> shit, yeah, a vagina, yeah. what the fuck, that's insane, right? And and so, but you you only had that one, like you tear out the page, and you kept that, and that was your thing that you that was your dream person and now it's just like people become com- i don't know such a weird thought but i thought like you're right yeah though it, like, not not to know. not to take it to hellraiser again but you know <laughs> <laughs> like you've seen one now you want to see all of them you're like oh my god so many but i don't know it just i feel like well, I don't know. well oh go ahead jeff oh i'm sorry i would just you know i because i'm right with you there carl on that journey and and it's it's something i've thought about a lot you know it's it, it, this you know how do you say it? So it did. It had this cheapening thing, and like as the internet came around, and as as more of this stuff became so readily available, the first thing, well, you know, the first thing readily available was this just hyper, uh, um, what's the word, uh, depersonalized view of women, where it's like now they are just objects, and we're gonna give them bright red lipstick and leather outfits and just kind of like the most um uh so oh gosh what is it the the least respectful way that they could have been presented was the way right. they were presented as we first found this mm-hmm. and i do think that this journey of digital uh pornography and and availability is going to come out in a stronger place like you know that we've seen the porn industry be slowly taken over by women and now we mm-hmm. see things like like OnlyFans, where where people are completely in control of their own, um, you know, marketability and the way that they're presented, and I do think we're coming back full circle. But where we are right now, it it sure is like, you know, you can go any which way you want. But um, my ramble, the point is simply that it's not surprising there is so much like kind of toxic masculinity towards women when for a long time the only view of them that the teenage that teenage boys would get was that, you know, was this just like, here is this literal hunk of meat that, you know, you can do whatever you want with. And, mm-hmm. and, and there's no funny, nobody on the other side. And yeah, I think it's very, very important. I think it's going to be a good conversation about five years from now to I, see oh, where yeah. we are. I totally agree. I think it's really interesting. I, the very timely, by the way, I'm glad you brought that up, but like, I, I think it's really interesting that right now, you, like you said, with, with things like OnlyFans, with things like, um, you know, like user, user uploads where people are like, oh, I, I don't have to go get an agent and pay my, you know, d- I don't have to go yeah. be part of the porn industry. I can just do things on my terms upload and people are you know there's like they're like all i there's this big boom of like amateur porn where people are kind of doing their own productions and controlling their content control and they're that gives them control of their bodies it's returning agency back to the people who've been used and objectified for so long and i think right now it's really interesting that places like instagram 
are changing their algorithms to target people who are, you know, uh, like alternative models and mm-hmm. people who are advertising OnlyFans accounts on their social media. That's all getting blocked. There's one state right now that's trying to re-legislate what should count as a pornographic website. Some places are trying to get rid of them. And what that feels like to me is those those power structures that, like you said, Jeff, we're moving away from trying to reassert themselves. Which oh, yeah. is kind of kind of interesting, but Carl, um, about that particular line. So, I think there's a there's a moment after that recontextualizes that moment for me when you know he he says, um, you know, you I oh man, it was hard to find a magazine like that when I was a kid, and you'd make up stories and you have to mm-hmm. imagine them with their clothes off and. You know, now with the internet, you know, it makes, it, uh, you know, women women used to be a lot more special before the internet or whatever. They The next thing we see is he's dangling that magazine endlessly in front of Manny's face to just keep the boner going, right? Because his boner is a water stick or whatever. Right, it's a, divi- <laughs> it's a divining rod back to the civilization, yeah. which is an awesome trope. But nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Uh, what's going on, Hank? And he goes, oh, it's, you know, I, I think it's called diminishing returns. It's, it happens to everyone. If you do something too many times, it doesn't be, it's not as effective anymore. That's why we have... Funny about that, that Hellraiser conversation earlier today. I know, right? It's like the perfect team-up of movies, man. Hellraiser and Swiss Army, man, is like the best double feature we've ever done. <laughs> but, um, but and then the next line after that. It, this is one of those movies where you think the movie's made its point, and then it tags something else on, and that draws you deeper into the movie. Because mm-hmm. you, you never stop listening, because the conversation never ends. It's the way that... It's the way we talk on the show, dude. It's like rabbit yep. hole after rabbit hole, and then you don't remember where you started but it doesn't matter because where you are is interesting um and right there the next line after you know it's diminishing returns pause that's why that's probably why we have so many fetishes fetishes what are fetishes and then we cut we don't hear him explaining (laughs) what fetishes are but uh it's it's another one of those heartbreaker lines that i think tags back the um, women used to be more special before the internet, which is, wow, women must be so nice to let men do all those things to them. Yeah. That's a fucking indictment if I've ever heard one. That's a brutal yeah. line in this movie. And it's couched yeah. in the middle of something really funny. It, yep. it, this movie's full of like sleepers where only hours later or days later, you, you're thinking about the movie and you're like, oh shit, that was kind of, I thought that was funny, but actually that's kind of fucked up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great it's a great point because it does it. It has that uh, that moment again where like, you know, you and your buddies are sitting around and you're you're tired and, you know, you're you're rela- and somebody says something. And everybody just sits there and lets it sit and realizes like the weight of what they said. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like, mm-hmm. like you know, when you're. When you're when you're 16 years old and you're at the hanging out at the barn with a girl for the first time, and you're like, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be this happy again. And like, you know, and you go, oh, my God, you know, are these moments and 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 positive moments, too, in this movie, mm-hmm. tons of positive ones, too, where, oh, definitely. you know, affirmational moments. But yeah, yeah, man, I and they did it so effortlessly. It's it's really just quite special yeah it's it this movie feels like the best juggling you know where where the easier it looks the harder it probably is that sort yeah. of thing um yeah. god man there's a i said earlier i think i said earlier this movie feels really honest i don't know if i've mentioned yet but i also think it's maybe it's tied into my idea about showing this movie to aliens which <laughs> <laughs> but this this movie feels so profoundly human you know like yeah. 
What's the one thing that humans have never been able to do but have always wanted to do throughout the entirety of history? Speak with the dead. And typically that's to find out what comes next, but that never comes up even once in this movie. You know, like Hank. Holy fuck, you're right. Right, it's like, all about what it's like. Is teaching about what it's been, what it means to be alive. Right the, now, what happens? Mm. This is essentially like a reverse seance. It's a dead man asking a living man as much as he can about what life was like, and that actually kind of hints some really dark and dark and frightening things about what death is, which is just the the uh, the backside of life, the antithesis of life, which is. No Cheeto dust on your fingers. No chance to sing songs with people on a bus. And again, like it's it, it this movie is very funny and actually very lighthearted. It leaves you feeling really good. It's just easier because of how humans are wired and we're fucked up. It's easier to talk about the heavy stuff. So that's why Well, no. Yeah. Yeah, but that, that no, I would say Max that you're hitting on the most important part of this movie, which is that it hits you with the heavy stuff without any judgment or 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 uh, condemnation behind it. It is just saying, hey, here's how it is, but that's okay. We're all here together. Even the condemnation, even the heavy stuff, like women were more special before the internet or, or whatever, it's not saying, hey, you should fucking feel bad. It's not Catholic churching us at the end of it. Right. It's just opening that door enough and and say and it's and it's never from a place of judgment it's not saying i'm better than you it's saying i understand you because i'm the same as you and and that and it does it really comes away just so uh, so easy, so nice, you know. <laughs> yeah, in, instead of hurting you, if we both do it, we won't be weird. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. right. So, guys, so guys, right now, let's pull our boners out and oh wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, I don't know what Paul Dano's mom looks like, but I can get that up on IMDb. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need another episode of this show where I have to text Max the next day and ask if I took my pants off. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I like that you brought up the. Uh, I like that you brought up this movie doesn't Catholic Church you. I think I think that it's a pretty strong statement early in this movie when he's like, "What's all this? What's all you know?" At that point, he's like, "What's all this stuff doing out here, or whatever?" And he goes, "Oh, this is trash. Uh, this is empty. This is useless." And then a Bible pops up on screen, and he goes, "This is old." Yeah. And, I mean, the Bible's physically old. Like, the cover's worn out, and there's pages kind of dog-eared, but that, come on, that's a pretty clear mm-hmm. statement, right? Oh, for sure. And, and they literally, shortly later, turn the book that into a copy of Everyone Poops. Everyone. He turns the Bible. That's right. Poops. Right. That is an audacious decision. And especially with a movie that is so focused on dismantling shame. Right? Yeah. And, and were this a more, um, not cynical, but a more... A nihilistic look at the world they would have burned the bible for warmth and it would have been a thing but they didn't do that honestly i think they reinterpreted the bible and said this whole thing boils down to everyone poops i agree (laughs) i totally agree and what what, what, honestly you now you've got me thinking about the uh, about the bible and i just realized that holy shit what a moment at the end of this movie when the little girl goes running out. By the way, I would like to point out that the little girl very clearly hears Manny speak because it's Manny who says, I was dead, but he brought me back to life, right? And the little girl tells Sarah, her mother, um, he was that was a dead man, but now he's alive. He's dead again, but she remembered something he said. Um, but yeah, like when they when the little girl chases them into the woods, 
when, and they find all of these weird fortresses and and the the cave and all that stuff, and we realize it's literally like right in this woman's backyard. That which oh god, hold on, now I have three thoughts going. One second. <laughs> um, so the but when the little girl, the little girl is the one who finds the Bible. She finds everybody their new their new uh, you know custom <laughs> copy of everybody poops, and it the Bible is propped up open like a bible on a lectern and it's almost a statement like this should be the holy text everybody poops you know that girl comes to that and she looks at it with interest and it's it is still kind of in a strange bizarre backwoods way a like it's it's open it's it's revered it's a revered object you know and it's a repurposed Bible. I fucking love that. Also, now going back to the thought I had while I was having this thought. God damn. <laughs> um, the, the girl runs into this, the backyard and we realize that all this shit has been happening for we're not exactly sure how long, right? Like right. That's the thing. It could be a matter of days. Yeah. Like, did Paul Dano ever actually... Like, we see him shave his face. His, his phone. And it, we realize it's his phone. He's been keeping it off for a while, but even off a phone battery will die. I'm sure you can extrapolate time based on the fact that he had 6% battery life left. Sure. Like, like, but what did he ever grow a beard? Was he gone that long or has he only been in this backyard for like a week or whatever? And he found this dead body and it messed with him or something. But I think it's really interesting. It says something about modern society that nobody in that family went out into the nature that's immediately in their backyard and noticed that he was... It at least took time to build all of the shit that is actually factually there. So like, there's yeah. a bunch of bears back there. Man. Right. Well, I'm, talking, <laughs> I'm talking about like weeks or months, but dude, yeah. if, you lived, if you lived on the edge of like beautiful forest, how many, how many weeks would you go staring at your phone rather than going for a walk? Or More whatever? than I'd want to admit. Yeah. yeah. Right. That is another sneaky bit of this movie where like why did no one notice that he was right there? Did no one go into the forest? Right, cuz it's not a long walk. It's like right down the hill and there they are. Right. Yeah. And he, it, yeah. I was going to maybe maybe this is a building block that Max can or Carl can turn into something much more intelligent, but like so if it's garbage, it must have been their garbage that he was building all of this out of. You know what I mean? He's right there. Oh shit. That's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's by a road too, so maybe some of it's like the you know oh, yeah. chucking. Oh, <laughs> That's right. I forgot. They kind of just like ignored that. Like he sees the car, and then I'm like, wait a minute, where was that at? That's cool. <laughs> um, I, do we? I want to. Can we talk about speaking of like sitting around with your buddies in a barn at 16, right? Um, what about the moment where <laughs> where uh, H- uh, Hank and Manny almost kiss? But then don't because I I love the line the like bailout line like, well I'm really drunk um, <laughs> yeah. I should probably just go to sleep yeah and I love I love Manny's yeah yeah me too, me too <laughs> he's a, a, a fucking <laughs> yeah. corpse you know he's like yeah I'm I'm pretty drunk I don't know what that means but that was weird right, um, <laughs> th- we talked about this kind of having like a romance element to it right yeah yeah um, the the romance to me this is a uh, Bear with me. A strange thought. I'm not. It's not fully formed, but it's kind of there. This movie's all predicated about one human teaching a human who's forgot how to be human what it means to be human, right? So it's like we're giving, we're learning about life. We're learning about what it means to live amongst other people, what the cost of living away from people is, all this stuff. But 
we talked about it in the lighthouse, man. When um when they they're like hugging and they almost have that weird kiss moment, but then they yeah. fight and it's all cool. And that was more about machismo, but we did talk about loneliness and the need for human connection. And maybe that's one of the reasons that this movie feels so appropriate for t- watching in 2020, which is what a weird way to say 2020. I haven't um, hugged anyone but my wife in in ten months, and I'm a hugger. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. hugged my mom and bird, and I've only t- I I talked about this on a show, but I've only touched one other person's hand, like skin to skin contact with one person in yeah. since March, which is nuts. But yeah. but when they get to that point, I'm wondering if because this is a kind of a movie about not just dismantling shame and being honest. But also sort of dismantling some of the, some of it, stripping away some of the trappings of culture and society, and I almost feel like the way that Hank and Manny sort of become what we would call romantically entangled with each other or in, in romantically engaged with each other through the act of you know like trying to help Manny remember a girl he's never met, <laughs> right. It almost feels like they're they're not I don't think that they're coming together or bonding or or falling in love with each other in a sexual way or a lascivious way or or even necessarily a romantic way, but in like a see that's the problem with language is language is very limiting because words mean mm-hmm. one thing, and I think this is a yeah. broad str- this is more of a feeling they're com they're yeah. they're in they're coming together on a completely human level for a need for contact and closeness and as just an expression of happiness when they're sitting outside the house a little drunk after having the party and you know Manny has that whole speech about like Sarah and takes the wig off and then Manny looks down at the wig and goes Sarah (laughs) puts the wig back on Um, but he's like I think that I think that Hank's mother would want him to be happy you know, and and want him to dance with his friends and and listen to his music and blah blah blah. Maybe this to me this didn't feel like oh these these two guys are falling in love with each other. It felt like these two these two people are at a moment of genuine peace and joy and happiness with yeah. and and of in in each other's company and and they're enjoying that and this is the way that they're choosing or starting to but not quite choosing mm-hmm. to express that you know it didn't feel like a lascivious kiss it almost felt like no. a i you know i cherish you i you are really dear to me it felt like that and i think well, that we get that realized when they're underwater after they fall off the fall off the pipe you know no it, it's you know what you're saying it, it's probably the main thing the the single greatest thing i took away from this movie and it's kind of a journey but like yeah like so it so we see this guy, he, he's trying to commit suicide at the beginning and he finds this corpse and he proceeds to take incredibly great care of the corpse when he's not riding it like a farting dolphin, you know, (laughs) he's taking such incredibly great care of it. He's carrying it. He's risking his own life to try to save this dead corpse. And before Manny even starts talking, he's just being so careful with it. And if you look at it as that Manny is his inner voice or this reflection of, you know, like saying things like that, 
that. Um, you know, so Paul Dano's Hank, he loves this corpse. He loves Sarah, who he's never even really met before. He loves his dad, even though he doesn't like, you know, had never felt love quite the other, you know, in the other direction, but he doesn't love himself. And then they, they get to this point and this Manny, who's this reflection of himself, they almost kiss. And then he's like, ah, I'm too drunk. And it isn't until it needs to save his life that he kisses him underwater and pulls the plug out Mm -hmm. (laughs) flying up. And it's not, yeah, it's, it's and and there's definitely a message in there and they, they, they come out and say it, but they, you know, where only when we're willing to like love ourselves and forgive ourselves and be gentle with ourselves, can we be gentle with other people? Like yeah. they're not mutually exclusive. And um, yeah, man, I, I'm right there with you. I, I, that, that was the message it led me to as well was that was this very beautiful, <laughs> simple thing. But yeah. And it was funny because I went on the roller coaster with their characters. I was like, Oh, don't be a romance between these yep. two. Well, that's going to be weird. Right. Oh, wait. Now I kind of want him to kiss him because he looks yep. good. As, he looks good as Sarah. And then, <laughs> oh, wait. And then all this other stuff. Dude, but totally. Where, yeah. But where it ended up, man, it, it, you know, I at least that's the way I'm interpreting it. You know, it feels really, really, really about finally accepting himself and forgiving himself. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can totally see it. I, and I love I love the line, the two lines right before they fall into the water, and we see him rather than swimming to the surface and just bailing and abandoning on this, on abandoning this this dead body, he swims down, yeah, to, to grab him and, and he kisses him and, and pulls out the symbol of his, you know, sh- <laughs> I don't like when you fart, it's embarrassing, yeah. So he's like, let those farts free, brother. I'll yeah. I'll kiss you and I'll <laughs> let you fart. Let's do it, you know. Like, yeah. um, but I love the lines right before they fall, where he's like, um, where. Uh, Manny is like I'm I think I'm feeling fear Hank I'm just so afraid that if I die again I'll miss you so much and like god damn what a you I want I wish someone would say that to me I'm afraid that if I die I'll miss you holy shit that's beautiful it's it's amazing and I think it's a good point to like kind of harken back briefly to how great these actors are where like I think a lot of people could watch this and just say oh they're just making jokes about farting and whatever but I don't know I think that there's maybe a handful of actors that could have delivered those lines like Daniel Radcliffe did I think like like him because he is so good at being vulnerable and honest and true like in these moments and like like it would have just you know Paul Dano too and he Paul Dano's walking a different line in this in this movie but man you know, Daniel Radcliffe can be so vulnerable and so honest. And it, it's just, it's quite amazing at his delivery, especially like you have been pointing out, Max, too, be, uh, me, while not being able to move his body or move his face or speak clearly and still just cut to the quick like that. You're like, right. wow. It's it's an amazingly emotive performance for not having any of the standard toolbox with which to emote. Like, this is... Was this it really this, top was it this conversation or Hellraiser where he talked about the teddy bear? That's, that was Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> that was Hellraiser again, Carl. <laughs> I'm telling you, listener, if you liked Swiss Army Man, you're going to love Hellraiser. <laughs> it's basically oh, the same yeah. film. It's like a sequel. Um, I, I had a thought, and I, I jotted it down, and I know we're, we're sort of jumping tracks back to a previous conversation, but I want to talk about the picture of Sarah on the cell phone. So we had that – we did a, a, a sort of rabbit hole about – Women were less or more special before the internet, and oh, you look at them, imagine them without their clothes off. But there's also another element that he adds to that Sports Illustrated, which is you make up stories 
about, oh, yeah, and maybe you, you met her on the street and you went to a farmer's market and then you're going to take out a one-year lease and you can watch Netflix together. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, weave, you weave a fantasy into yeah. this image that you're looking at and that becomes a stand-in for doing anything in reality for for reality it's it's um it's a replacement for connection for genuine connection you know it's like a surrogate it's uh it's a it's a sock puppet instead of a mother that sort of thing you know and i just i just realized like this whole movie is about two dudes looking at a picture of a girl on a screen and the whole movie is is paul dano weaving a fantasy for Manny, this whole movie is one guy essentially, dudes making or watching pornography by Paul yeah. Dano's definition of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. this is not the real Sarah. And when we meet Sarah, we've seen her on the bus. We've seen this ethereal, like you know, dream girl, like movie dream girl. You know, like she turns her head and the light catches her hair. But when we meet her, she's like, "Are are you okay? What the fuck?" Is that yeah, a dead guy? Yeah. Yeah, she she's a mom. She's got a life. She's got a house and a job and uh, you know, parents and like all this other stuff and like, you know, and and yeah, that she's like a real person who they've idolized and I love that was a great choice that they didn't just make her, you know, some other ethereal being. And 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 in some ways as great as Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is, like it's, you know, it's much more surface level with the, some yeah. of those things where this really is like you know, and that's 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 why it was good that they cast somebody like uh, Mary Elizabeth is that, um, <laughs> you know, she she is able to bring that much more like that grounded reality to it. And she's All like right. the only one who doesn't laugh at the farts because she's kind <laughs> of like the audience or our girlfriends or whatever oh, yeah. saying, you know, this is just a movie about farting. Come on. Guys. Right. <laughs> she's the only actor that could they could play Susie McLean. That's... Yep. I, this yes. this movie is totally perfectly cast. Yes, Carl, from my one of my favorite uh, favorite Die Hard films, in which Connor Sweeney is utterly and comprehensively wrong about. Um, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like this is a perfectly cast film. I I can't see anyone else in any of these roles. It it just something fades for me. There's a just you know there there's not. This is a it's like a perfect storm of performances. Yeah. I I don't think this is necessarily a perfect film. I did have there was one spot in this movie where I got a little bored. And it's basically around the time that we see the car drive past and we get the road. Yep. Yep. It's I had the same moment. I, I literally wrote that down. It was the only moment that it lulled was just that moment. Yeah, it, it, it loses momentum for sure. I think I think part of it is because of its sort of experimental and unusual structure, they weren't re- um the the place where you're ready for the climactic moment to hit or the high point of action to hit doesn't land where it should. Like for me the bus is such an overwhelming scene. And then there's that mm-hmm. the rest of it is like montage of here let's do karate chops and we're going to oh here's a bear like it maintains such a fast pace and such a yeah. high level of engagement while still being smart that slowing down to this sort of like it's it's very they don't go anywhere they build a fire they stay in one spot they lay on the ground this the stuff they're talking about they're, like the dialogue we've come to love by this point in the movie goes away and they sort of oh go ahead oh my got? god no that's my that's my that's my no this at this point my 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 nose, the di- the dialogue was so much stronger earlier when it was magical. Now it just feels trite. Like yeah. it becomes 
a different thing. But I think that's sort of the movie. They're 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 close to the point of the the dream being over. Right. So so that would start to become more the typical bullshit that we're used to hearing. Right. Yeah. In, in a weird. Um, maybe I'm giving it more than than is there, but it's the dream is starting to end. We're starting to. Well, it, yeah, if the lull was going to happen anywhere, that was the best spot for it to happen. Agreed. Right. It was the most fitting spot. Agreed. Because I think you're right. I, that was, I, that's a great point, Carl. As they get closer to civilization, they get further from the fantasy and get closer to the real world, the magic does kind of drain out around the edges a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think, I don't know if it's purposeful or not. We did say with Hellraiser, again, god damn. The, the last five minutes of Hellraiser, they kind of jump the shark. It, they they kind of yeah. biff it at the very end. But the whole movie's so goddamn strong, you just ignore the five minutes. Yeah. I feel the that way about this chunk of Swiss I, Army I, Man. I, I, well, I don't like the ending of, of this movie at all. Really? I think, I think it, yeah. Okay. I don't. I, I don't care. Well, I don't know if it's maybe because I was because there is so much mystery around it. We already talked about the 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 bridge story that I've already forgotten the name of. But that is this his is is this his death moment? It still might be, but I feel like uh, it, it's it start the the end starts fine with him. He's in her backyard. You discover who she, who she is. Like oh my god, oh my god. And you continue to add these layers of holy shit. He was just in the back, and then his dad comes in. And then his dad, it's just, there, there was this moment, ever since when dad shows up, it just, it, it ends the whole thing for me. Okay. I don't, I don't care for the performance of the dad either. He's, he has this weird smiling nod of appreciation of his son at the end. I when, like the nod. You know, fart, I fucking hated it. <laughs> Sorry. Because it's not, it's not, or, I don't know. It's like we have, I don't know. It's just, it, it seems so, I, I guess I was, the expectation was that it would be something more great. Is some, is somebody jerking off right now? It's I, it's not me. Are you eating chips right now, Jeff? <laughs> no, no, sorry. I don't know what that is. No, you're good. Um, but I don't know. I just felt I felt like uh, they're like they were trying to wrap too much up or try to have too much of a answer because they're being. I don't know. Okay. Not that I wanted answers because they're they're maybe giving us too too much too many answers mm. or something. I don't know. It just felt like I. It, on this journey with these these two humans for for 90 minutes right and then the last five minutes just felt like a letdown for whatever reason okay with the dad there and they don't call me don't say retard it's a bad word because we heard about that before and then like that repeated tag back i I thought that was fun because it's shocking in a 2016 film to hear that absolutely absolutely uh but i don't know it just it felt like it was just sort of it was just missing. What's my actual note on this? I said the ending. The ending is a mixed bag for me. There is such mystery and hints at what is possibly going on, and I feel that my expectations were much higher than what was delivered. Right. And maybe also because the rest of my note, uh, Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe are so strong throughout the movie that the performances by the other actors at the end seem flat and underwhelming. Especially the dad. What the fuck is up with the knowing not at the end? And I feel like that moment isn't deserved for his character, who we just met, yet have only heard hurtful words from. So, I don't know. All right, um, I Jeff, what is? Let's talk about the end. Let's pop. Yeah. What what are your thoughts on this? Well, I'm gonna say that like I I I heavily disagree that with the ending being disappointing. However, completely think that that's a valid opinion not that you need my validity you know my validity. No, it's, it's but like because i i was watching it and like really not uh, if there 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 was no 
best way to end this movie. Sure. They had painted themselves into too many corners. Totally. And, and, and like, and like, and I, you know, them trying to paint, make the effort to say, okay, here's what the reality was. They knowingly subverted our expectations several times where we're like, is he dead? Isn't he dead? Is this a occurrence at Owl Creek bridge? Is he coming back? You know, all of a sudden Manny's carrying him. I'm like, is Manny the one who's been alive the whole time? How is right. this possible? And then he gives his name as Manny and has Hank in the body bag for a minute when he's pretends. And I was like, wait, what's you know going on? Right. And I think, I think that that was them acknowledging any of these answers could have been true and it really doesn't matter. So we're just going to send Daniel Radcliffe off into but the you, sunset. So you, so, you know, I think, I think part of it too, it's like the Jurassic park park thing. I think part of it was because I, I was not ready for this dream to be over yet. And mm. now that we're back in reality, I'm fucking disappointed. I got, yeah. I got you. Yeah. Um, so another movie that this movie reminds me a lot of Antichrist by um, Lars von Trier. Oh my god! Oh Jesus! But uh, but in a weird way, the endings feel. Wait 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 wait. Viewer, <laughs> this movie is nothing like Hellraiser or Antichrist. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, no, yeah. If you guys were taking that seriously, no, no, no. If you thought this movie it's just was convers- our conversation, it's it's strange the overlap of conversation right beats that we've been having. The movie, the two movies are nothing right. alike. Hellraiser's a ver- a fairly extreme and disturbingly gory horror film, and Antichrist is Hellraiser times a thousand for like disturbing, bleak horror drama. Um, but in a weird in a weird way, the ending of Antichrist. Like you were saying, they painted themselves into too many corners because the movie was so fucking huge. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's so big and so wild and so, I mean, fantastic in, not in the, like, it was really good, but in the, like, it, it, as in fantasy, wild fantasy. Like, there's no way to stick this landing. You jumped too high off the board. You've done too many flips. You're kind of gonna go in wobbly, but you just hope that everyone remembers the dive and not the splash, you know? Um, Antichrist is a movie... It's pretty extreme. Uh, Listener, you do your own research, but I would not recommend it to most people. It's kind of a lot. But, um... I mean, unless you love fucking great movies. It's really good. But um, uh-huh. that movie goes very big. I don't want, This is not maybe the place to talk about the really extreme parts of that movie, but there's there's moments in that movie that are very, very extreme and very, very high point. It's Willem Dafoe, one of the best performances I've ever seen out of him in anything. He's so good. The other actress, I, I unfortunately for, have forgotten her name. Charlotte but, Gainsbourg. Thank you. Yeah, he, she's in almost all of Lars von Trier's stuff. Yep. Also exceptional amazing performance like that is two actors at the extremity of of the like the limits of performance and mostly what they're performing is grief so the movie's so fraught and it ends with just an inexplicable horde of naked people running down a hill that is never explained and never put a button on it never been brought up before it's just this like weird abstract image that it ends on and at the end of antichrist i'm always like what the what what was that yeah huh, that doesn't, it didn't feel that natural to me, huh? I mean, 
I think I think that that was the kind of point I was getting at earlier when I was comparing this to more nihilistic movies is that and maybe that's why I'm more, so much more accepting of the ending of this one is it it is it isn't wallowing it is actually a hopeful movie Definitely. it's not afraid to say out loud what it's trying to say and at the end you know like yeah like I usually find a lack of resolution frustrating but this one like it felt okay to me you know it, it felt okay to let the characters be released and not have him be shot by the cops or you know whatever. right right yeah this could have ended get, badly we didn't get the stephen king ending on this one right <laughs> right the, the husband doesn't come out with a shotgun like get off of my land back away sarah get in the house you know it very easily yeah. could have though i mean because it's it's not a far stretch for that to be a thing that happens here yeah so. totally Th- that, that would be didn't. that would be a realistic thing that would happen in the world and now here's my take on the end of this movie. I, I also like the end of this movie, but call, dude, I totally see where you're coming from. This really does, this, and like we said, there's this ending, they just kind of had to like choose your own adventure. Let's just wrap sure. this up because it's so yep. wild. But what the way that I read the ending of this movie is um, like, what are these pictures? Um, okay, they, I mean, this is Manny and, and I'm, you know, I'm Hank and I'm Manny and, and he's he's starting to like reassimilate into the world and he's left it all behind him. I think it's important that when he's facing the cameras, he has his back turned to the body of Manny and the forest, the place where he's just been and where he's learned these lessons or taught himself these lessons. He's got his back turned and he's staring into a camera. He's going to become part of the mill of content and screens, and we're not really interacting with anyone. There's that moment where uh, the the reporter says, all your friends are going to see you. He doesn't have any friends. Mm-hmm. He, why the fuck did he come all the way back to the real world to just slip back into those patterns? If he does that, everything we learned in this movie means nothing. So what I love is he runs back to the body. And he doesn't leave it covered up. He opens it up. He doesn't take him out of the body bag, but he's like, no, we're not going to hide the dead. We don't throw the dead away anymore. That, they're not garbage. Yeah. They're not garbage. Exactly. He's like, no, we're not hiding this. We're looking at this. We die. Look at this. This is a dead person. You, 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 me. We're all going to die. We're going to shit ourselves and our organs will shit ourselves. <laughs> and we're all going to be in a big pile of shit together. It's going to be rocking. <laughs> Feed yeah. them our shit that we made a meat. Right, right, and then Laura Dern's gonna stick her arm down into us and pull. But, <laughs> but no, but I love that he runs back into the woods, and it's not to escape again; it's to make sure that his friend does not meet this ignoble fate of dying and of dying and being buried anonymously and being thrown away like trash. But in so doing, in in this brave act of like, I'm gonna make this guy's death mean something. If only because we're about to have the our news crew running around and be like, what? And look at this wild shit. Now this is an, a piece of something important. And there's this great line when he slides all the way down into the river and they start seeing the shit that he's built. Paul Dano says, oh no, they're going to see everything. And that was where I started thinking that what he's doing is he has drawn at least a small part of that the world, home. He's drawn some of home back into this place where he's been so that they can learn like he's learned so that they can see the things that he's seen mm-hmm. that he's he's drawing them into this fantasy and i think it's really important that those people are led into that fantasy by a child because she has yes. the eyes with which to see it oh, yep so they all follow her in she finds the everybody poops book and 
doesn't go down to she doesn't initially go down to the shore she goes down with her parents later but you know the cops all get down to the shore and stuff so she has engaged everyone else is looking at it like what the fuck it looks like the Blair Witch Project back here you know but a child would see like oh my god look at these cool forts look at all Mm -hmm. this cool stuff oh wow these are dummy and what's this book she engages with that fantasy world and ultimately Everybody, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that this group of people stands for the world and the potential reactions because we see a range of reactions. We see Sarah is like the one holdout who doesn't get it. She goes, "What the fuck?" But what the fuck? Um, and you know, like in a weird way, it feels like revealing some of his wisdom to the mm. world. Like this is a fr- and then the God, it's it's weird to say, but like that moment where he like grits his teeth and he becomes brave and farts and then looks up at all of them and he goes it was me it was me i did it we always blame farts on somebody else right and he's incredible and he's just like and he's handcuffed on his knees in front of a corpse and he's like i just farted that's how this (laughs) that's how this movie fucking ends you know but i love that 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 paul dano goes running off into the woods because he's realized that 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 was better than this and a child goes chasing after him, and that child draws part of the world in. And by the end of the movie, all those people, except for Sarah, who saw that, who went through that, that weird place where he's been and arrived at the shore and watched Daniel Radcliffe dolphin fart his way into the sunset, they're all changed by that. That's I think that's what his dad's sort of like smile and nod thing is. I'm not, oh, yeah. sh- I'm not sure that the smile and nod is earned. I'm fully with you there. But I think I feel the emotion behind it, which is like, I thought you were you were like a weak kind of non-entity thing, and I'm a pretty hard man. But, but man, that guy, this is he. There's he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to say. But something has changed. And like, dude, the cops looking out, and the the film guy with the camera when the camera comes up to his eye, and then like right near the end, the camera like comes back down, and he just <laughs> looks out at the at the ocean, just like I have no fucking. <laughs> but I, that's sort of what I that was the vibe that I got from this is is I can come back to the world but nothing will change. People need right. people need the revelations that I've found in my time away from the world. Which dude, 2020, we've all been away from the world for a while and I'm kind of wondering what we're all going to bring back to the table when we're allowed to do that again, you know? Yeah. And I kind of hope it's something like this and not well, what the news is telling us it's going to be. No, that's that's a really fair point. Um, that's kind of bringing out of me some like introspective thoughts I've been struggling with lately is I'll be honest and say that I'm not I, I academically I want us to get back to normal. But emotionally, I don't know that I want quarantine to end because yeah. I don't want to face all the shit that I've been that I was, you know, like all the extra responsibilities and the promises and guilt trips and the, you know, the things that like kind of weigh us down and get in the way. I've been, you know, spending a lot of this time with my family and my work and it's been, you know, in some ways good. Obviously, this is the danger of it is sliding into this this comfort but i am not dissimilar to paul dano running back into the woods you know looking for another reason to quarantine himself from the world and like it's something that you know a lot of us are going to have to deal with and and you know yeah yeah for for me and my honesty man it's like i honestly i feel more comfortable out in public with a mask on but many people may not be aware I, i i suffer from severe anxiety 
and I don't like groups of more than like 10 people. Generally speaking, I, I get full of ang- I don't, yeah, I get very self-conscious wearing a mask on. I've been, I've been the more, com- more comfortable than I've been in yeah. since, since I can remember having just my face covered in public has yep. actually helped a lot with my anxiety, which is a strange thing. Academically, like you said, I, I want this to be over, but some of it, this, my, my desire to be sort of secluded and my own person and not, not having to really interact with other people that I don't know, not being able to hug my friends is a completely different thing. But sure. as far as being amongst other humans and being, feeling comfortable in a group of unknowns, I felt a lot more comfortable in the last nine months. And I'm not ready for that to quite be over. Yeah, dude, yeah. I, I completely hear you. Like uh, one of the things that to, br- to put that feeling into the terms of this film, which I think mm-hmm. there is a moment in here that does this, which is when we're first on the bus, the 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 memory bus, or not not the memory bus, the the wooden you know forest stick bus, mm-hmm. and Daniel Radcliffe looks over at the girl, and he's like, "What if I what if I say something stupid?" He goes, "I don't I don't think I can do this. She's too beautiful." I, I, I and then he go, and then he turns to Paul Dano and he says, "What would you do?" And Paul Dano pauses for a second because he's been saying like, "Dude, you you're she's sitting right there." You're going to let her, talk to her go talk to her. You got to sit down, man. You gotta, and he goes, what would you do? And Paul Dano stops and there's, it's a beautifully honest moment. He goes, I would probably wait and I'd watch her get off the bus and I'd go home and I'd eat a whole box of pizza alone. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that that, because look, I, I, Jeff, I know you don't know me, but Carl, you know me. Bert and I are pretty famously reclusive people. We're not, we're, we're very introverted. We're very artistic. We kind of live in the house even when things aren't wild and crazy so i've also been really loving this time where there's no pressure for me to go out because I like... we all do it together it doesn't feel weird exactly yes oh my exactly dude holy shit carl yes wow just Carl just dropping the like logic bombs. Today, I know, you know, dude. He just like he'll walk in and like take the mic away and say something and then drop it on the floor and walk back out. It's beautiful, man. <laughs> but um but but that's but that's what we risk. You know, if they're absolutely I think especially for creative people or people who really like their alone time or their private time or like people who like to do really like deep thinking work there there is a certain set of people i think all three of us are probably among it uh, among that who are doing not obviously no one's doing well right now but are more suited to this type of quarantine less social thing than than normal you know like this kind of is our element in a way yeah but what we risk for that emotional safety is we all end up like Paul Dano in the woods. Yeah. You know, and that girl gets that girl gets off the bus and we never dare and we never and we don't we end up we end up missing out on on what it means to be human, which we find out over the course of this movie isn't the fantasy life that we build in in our heads. Yeah. It's the connections between other people and when there are no other people there's no life to be lived. I would happily face my anxiety tomorrow to be able to touch my friends and to be uh, to build like I miss theater more than anything I could possibly like it's it hurts my soul right so I would 
I would I would happily go back into a world uh, facing my anxieties every day to have that back. So it's it's a it's a weird sort of balance. Yeah, it's, one, it's nuts. One of the hardest things for for me specifically in relation to you, Carl, and this show is we have done we've done production meetings and pitch meetings for film projects. For okay, all right, what are we going to shoot? We'll start. Maybe we'll start with some shorts. I've got this idea for a feature. Check this script out. But we can't do any of that right now, and that's mm-hmm. that's part of it. Like we. I, we're musicians, uh, we're filmmakers, and we're podcasters. We're relearning visual cues over screens so that we don't yeah. interrupt each other as much because it fucks with the audio. As much as we like to think of ourselves as the artists in the garret over the Seine away from the world while we do our important work, our work as artists is intensely collaborative, almost mm. always. And if you can't collaborate, if you can't be in the world or and of the world, then you're kind of hamstrung you know you can only read books for so long and game of thrones only has nine seasons just imagine how heartbroken he's gonna be when he learns that game of thrones only has eight seasons what a moron (laughs) right well well eight let's 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 call let's not throw that last season in there yeah game of thrones has eight good seasons (laughs) uh nope game of thrones has Eight seasons, period, you 40-watt dingus. So I I have, at this point, I have nothing left for this film other than highly recommend it. I think it is highly. for everyone. If you're over the age of, like, 13 or whatever, you know, parents' discretion, obviously. But this is a movie that is would be beneficial for everyone to see and is massively entertaining. So well done. We didn't talk about the cinematography at all, but it's gorgeous to look at. Just- yeah, I would I would say this is a firm nine nine point five out of ten, and that's only because it's not for you know if you're not able to handle masturbation jokes, if you're not ready for that, then it's not for you. <laughs> right. But everyone else should check in with this movie pretty regularly, and I'll say it's probably it's probably it's definitely one of my top five movies from the last ten years, if not you know, and that's pretty high praise because I see a lot of movies, and um, yeah, this is really strong. It's unlike. There isn't another movie like it from the last 10 years, and uh, it is worth the time. It's a good date movie if yes. you don't want to watch The Notebook. It's <laughs> <a> good... <laughs> if you don't want to deal with Nicholas Sparks. Yes, it's a great date movie. It's a great buddy comedy movie. It's a great you know what movie to watch by yourself. It is why movies exist, is this kind of escapism and joy while still having something to think about. Um, yeah, Nicholas, Nicholas Sparks, the best... Oh, Farts. <laughs> nice. Um, awesome, uh, Carl. What's what are your uh, final thoughts? So I have a new I have a new rating system that I'd like to bring uh bring on board to measuring flicks with this episode. Okay. I think we sort of talked around this a little bit as far as how I uh, feel about movies and how I would rate them. Would you watch it? Would you not watch it? Okay. So my rating system is: Do you stream it or do you buy it on physical media? Do you uh-huh. stream it on Netflix or do you buy the fucking Blu-ray? Interesting. So this movie you buy the deluxe special edition steel case blu-ray and you, it goes on your first shelf and you watch all the special features and commentary and it, it lives on your shelf so to where you can hold it in your hands and and enjoy it this one this one this one deserves a physical copy uh, this is a solid nine out of ten for me definitely i for me like i said i'm pissed i rented it i've rented i watched it for free at john's copy i rented it 
now I'm going to buy it. And I blew four bucks renting the son of a bitch. So, yeah, yeah. no, that's one of the kind of the things I always think about the highest praise for a movie is would I share it? Would I want other and and like your Blu-ray rating system is great because it is. It's the kind of movie that you want on hand so you can share it. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And and Carl, this will melt your brain, but alphabetically, it'll land right next to Jurassic Park. Just, just kidding. Oh, just, no. just kidding. Okay, Swiss just... Army. I'm like, that's an S. Wait a second. I just wanted to hurt you for one second. <laughs> <laughs> Even though that's not true. But I... my brain did a loop-de-doo and, and forgot that J is nowhere close to S. I know, dude. My alphabet failed me, and I was like, that's fucked up. That's wild. And then I was like, wait a minute. No, no, no. That can't be right. <laughs> so do you, do you guys mind if I do my, my tags and and Do the tags, baby. Well, you know. You know, before you say it, I want to say, as a completely impartial person, yeah. you guys need to go and support these guys on Patreon because what they're doing is amazing. It's well-deserved. They're working their asses off, and they truly love what they're doing. So go on over, get look up Measuring Flicks on Patreon and support these guys. It, I do it. It's worth it. They work really hard at this, and you got to support people who truly love things. Damn, kind thanks, words, sir. Thank you so much. Um, listener, if you want to follow advice from someone as wise and sage as Jeff Morgan, <laughs> head on over to patreon.com slash quillandfilm, Q-U-I-L-L-A-N-D-F-I-L-M. You can get full-length bonus episodes. We've got the When Harry Met Michael series going on over there. We're watching all the Harry Potters and all the Halloweens back and forth. Um, and you can get shout-outs on the show, which sound a little something like this. We would love to thank those who make this podcast possible. Um, with the, let's start with our newest patron, um, Leslie Ty, who recently appeared on Holy our... Holy shit! Yeah, man. Ballad of Billie Jean, uh, or the Legend of Billie Jean episode. Yeah, we have a new patron there. Uh, we would love to thank Cynthia Van Manen, um, our listener down in Florida, the witchy and wonderful Cassandra. Check out her podcast, Cassandra Explains It All. She does throwback 90s stuff. Very cool. Uh, we'd like to thank Jeff Morgan, who uh, is also appearing on the show and rocking rocking our world with some knowledge. We'd love to thank Kevin K. Ram, Kevin Ramirez, Sister Sarah Hartley, William Rockwood, Brian Jackson, David Rowney, Kelly and Mike Wagner, Daniele Hartelli, Connor Sweeney, and executive producer and glitter glitter aficionado Casey Scheibe. Also has a podcast, Some of Us, which she does with her husband, John, who introduced me to this film initially. It's S-U-M of Us. You can check that out on iTunes or Spotify, I think. Um, that's So that's that. If you want to drop us a line, if you think that we should stop talking about movies that are just about farts and you just want to give us a piece of your mind, or <laughs> if you totally love this movie and you want to tell us what you thought of it, if you thought we got some stuff right, if you thought we got some stuff wrong, let us know at measuringflixpodcast at gmail.com. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Um, again, thank you so much for being on the show, Jeff. We'll, talk, we'll, uh, we'll be back with Jeff for part two of this. He made a bit of a... Deal with the devil. <laughs> oh, boy. It's only downhill from here, guys. I'm sorry. But I am grateful to be here despite what's about to come. <laughs> All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you reveal. Uh, I'll let you reveal it, Jeff. What are When we next meet with you uh, to chat, to let the listeners know, what, will we, what film will we be discussing next there time? Come, there comes a time in a young man's life when he decides to make his first movie. And when he does this, he, for literally, not figuratively $3 million, but literally for peanut butter and jelly, (laughs) scrapes his friends together 
and makes a three-hour movie <laughs> where he puts everything he has into it and then wonders why he isn't wildly successful. Next week, we are bringing you Folklore, my first movie, and I am just going to be so goddamn it. <laughs> So excited for this, man. <laughs> I can't wait to put my signed copy in. <laughs> that bad boy. All right. Thank you all for tuning in, listeners. Uh, Merry Christmas. This will come out after Christmas. I hope you all had a happy holiday. Don't, don't be don't... afraid to fart. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say, don't be afraid to fart in front of your friends. <laughs> <laughs>